CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It is Thursday, August 8th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, In These Times, writer Miles Komplassen returns. Union man Jake Lewis of the Chicago Federation of Labor will join us. And also making his return, a very millennial Thursday we're having today. Aldermanic aide Ishmael Cuevas. And now your host, not a millennial. <laughs> Way far away from a millennial. Uh, Baby boomer Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> it's like three millennials in one. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this White Sox Wives Thursday. And here's why. Big scoop and my beloved bright one. Home delivered as always. Here it is. Listeners, Chicago Sun-Times, Sox off-field drama. Check. I urge everybody to check it out. Very interesting story. Nader Issa wrote it. Congratulations, Nader Issa. Uh, National turmoil sparks a social media slugfest between Chicago White Sox wives. Well, actually, one of them is an ex-Chicago White Sox wife. By the way, this story, it's its blown up. The, my beloved Bright one had it first, I guess. Bright Bart's written about it. New York Post, Daily News, Tribune. Didn't have it today. Come on, Trib. Get get rid with it. But D, I want to say something about the Trib before you get to the White Sox wives. What's that? They had that butter cow story covered. All right, give the Tribune credit. Thank God. <laughs> they got a picture of JB Pritzker with the butter cow. Great picture. We'll be talking about that. But we had the scoop yesterday about the butter cow, did we? Yeah, not? we did. Uh, not trying to brag or anything, but yeah, we had the uh, butter cow scoop. I believe we had the Tribune scooped on butter cow. All right. Anyway, all right. Let's get down to important things. Better Chicago. luck next time, Trib. <laughs> you got to get up early to scoop the Ben Jarofsky show when it comes to butter cow. Yeah, like eight thirty. Uh, no, I think nine fifteen would no. usually do it. All right. Anyway, so uh, back to the White Sox wives. This is a very interesting story. It talks about the visions in our time and how it's affecting one baseball team. Uh, essentially, uh, what went down? Here's what went down. Uh, uh, Bria, uh, Bria Anderson, wife of Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson, wrote an Instagram post in which he de- decried white racism. I read the post. I was cheering and I applauded. I'm a huge fan of Tim Anderson. It's got nothing to do with anything, but Tim Anderson's an all-star sh- sh- shortstop for my beloved Chicago White Sox. Great player. So I was really, uh, I really appreciated what uh, Bria Anderson had to say on it. Uh, that sparked, her post sparked a response from Elizabeth uh, Swarzyk, and you're going to say, who's Elizabeth Swarzyk? Well, she's the wife of Anthony Swarzyk, at which point you're going to say, who? (laughs) 
That's because nobody knows Anthony Swarcek. All right, I'm showing my bias here. Anthony Swarcek used to play. He was a pitcher. He used to play for the White Sox. Now he plays for the uh, Atlanta Braves. He's, you know, he's an okay so-so pitcher. I'm not going to hold his political views against him. Uh, but he is, you know, just, a, I mean, Tim Anderson is an all-star, and Anthony Swarcek is just an okay player. So I'm not saying automatically that, like, the Democratic ball players are better than the Republican ball players, But I'm sort of saying, sort of saying that. Anyway, uh, his wife weighs in. She was outraged, D outraged that Bria Anderson would decry white racism. And immediately she responded with her tweet or Instagram post or whatever. I can't remember how they were communicating. It was some millennial social media thing. Uh, She immediately decried black on black crime. And this is a very interesting thing. Republicans, anytime a black person criticizes Donald Trump or criticizes white supporters of Donald Trump immediately, a Trump supporter will come back and say, what about black and black crime? It could be absolutely, it could be a congressman or a congresswoman who is uh, has a legitimate complaint about the way Donald Trump is, let's say, ignoring his subpoenas, congressional subpoenas, or the way Donald Trump is just unilaterally imposing tariffs that put people out of work, hurt farmers. It could be uh, Elijah Cummings, congressman from Baltimore, decrying what Trump is doing at the border with his immigration policies. No matter what the issue is if a black person raises criticism of trump automatically it's like a knee-jerk reaction a conservative supporter of donald trump will say what about black and black crime and black and black crime obviously is a big issue we deal with it every day here in the city of chicago but i'm asking you republicans how come the only time you want to talk about black and black crime it's when you want to divert attention from criticism legitimate criticism of donald john trump first of and the other point is If you're so concerned about black and black crime, why aren't you helping out? Why is it the only time you talk about the afflictions, the issues that we have in big cities throughout the country is you want to use it as a talking point in your fight against Democrats? You know, what's your positions on this? I talked about this yesterday with Donald John Trump. Hey, Donald Trump, if you want to weigh in and uh, uh, if you want to bash the murders that are happening in the city of Chicago, in that case, it was Ivanka Trump, then you can help us out. You're the president of the United States. You could send money. You could hire more police officers so we can clear some of the crimes. You could or give us the money to hire more police officers. That happened in the 90s. Uh, Bill Clinton uh, sent out a lot of money to the cities to hire more police officers. You could give the cities more money so they can have more mental health clinics. I talked about this yesterday. More funding for our schools, after school problems. There's a lot that conservatives can do. They got power. They control the Senate. They control the White House. They control the Supreme Court. But nothing. It's and it's weird. It's not even when you're criticizing Trump. Do you remember when uh, the old show? And I can't remember the station. Oh well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the one that uh, F I R E D B. Anyway, that station and uh, we that had spelled tr- fired. <laughs> it fired you. That's very good, D man. You're spelled. <laughs> tell you what, those teachers down in Alton, give them a raise. They That's taught correct. him. <laughs> they taught him how to spell. Anyway. Uh, we had Troy LaRavier on the show, and um, Troy LaRavier was right at the time running for mayor, head of the Chicago Principals Association, great guest. And he was talking about a story that appeared in the Tribune, got to give the Tribune credit for this, about how black uh, bicyclists were being ticketed at a higher rate, or at least bicyclists in black neighborhoods were being ticketed at a higher rate than uh, bicyclists in white neighborhoods. And it was obviously a case of double standards. Was, I know from having taking my bike all over the city of Chicago that uh, in white neighborhoods, people are riding on sidewalks and are riding the wrong way down one way streets. I may have even seen a certain Dr. D do that uh, from time to time. Uh, 
no names. Uh, but uh, anyway, but the ticket rate was higher in the black neighborhoods. Uh, Troy pointed this out. We got a phone call right away. Remember, uh, I'm not for Donald Trump. Uh oh, as soon as somebody says oh, that, that, you know, Trump, yeah, we come. But what about black on black crime? Boy, I miss phone calls. <laughs> Well, that was not the point of the anecdote, but yeah, I share your thought. All right, let's get those. Let's go to the phone line. 773, you heard what's on our mind. What's on your mind? Anyway, it's been a long time since we've done that, D, huh? Yeah, you know. Bill and Waukegan, go. <laughs> You're on the air. What was our what was our guy in Evanston? Uh, Evanston. Yeah. Oh, Adler. Adler. Ah, oh, by on the air. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> don't make fun of the guy. I liked Adler. Yeah, he was, he was, he was a socialist. Anyway, all right. Where was it? As soon as we started talking about ticketing, the guy went, what about black and black crime? I'm like, what has that got to do with ticketing? Anyway, it's my same thought. And by the way, I'd like to say uh, Ariana uh, Giolito, who is the wife of Lucas Giolito, by the way, an outstanding all-star pitcher. Once again, the liberals are the good baseball players. Just saying, conservatives. Maybe spend a little more time in that batting cage, huh? You get the batting average up. Maybe work throwing the ball, all right? Swartzick, I mean, you know, instead of spending so much time uh, defending Donald Trump, work in the pitching motion. I'm just saying, you want to be as good as, you know, Lucas uh, Giolito and Tim Anderson, the liberal guys. Anyway, she weighed in. Uh, she had some good comments, in my humble opinion, Ariana Giolito. So the White Sox wives were going at it, and they were exposing, you know, all the issues of the day. And I'll say it this one more time. Anytime you Republicans want to come up with something resembling assistance or a solution to all the problems we have in our country, as opposed to just exploiting them to scare people into voting for Donald John Trump so that you can get your huge tax breaks, instead of, if, instead of doing that, I will welcome any ideas or suggestions you have. Until then... You struck out. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles Conflas will be here from In These Times. He's fired up. He's got so much to talk about. He uh, was covering the Democratic Socialist of America convention. Where is it? Nashville, Tennessee, I want to say it was. Uh, he's got a lot to talk about that from uh, In These Times. Miles Conflas and also talk about local Chicago uh, issues. Uh, Jake Lewis from the Chicago Federation of Labor. He can't wait to talk about the Labor Day parade. He's like, I want to talk about the Labor Day parade. All Nothing right. else. <laughs> We're going to talk about a lot of union issues and political issues with Jake Lewis. Uh, Ish Cuevas, uh, he is a top aide to uh, uh, Susan uh, Sadlowski-Garza, one of our favorite aldermen, alderwomen, I should say. Susan, what's up? Alderman Garza from the 10th Ward. He'll be in talking about political issues uh, of the day. A lot of political talk. Leah's last day. Leah's going to uh, deliver an oration in the last 15 minutes about uh, her right. thoughts on the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so she's writing it as we speak. She's putting the fi finishing touches on a speech, right, Leah? Look, she's, yeah. going. <laughs> she's got the paper out. She's going. <laughs> All right, I want to hear that speech. Anyway, so uh, Leah will be, um, we'll definitely have to have Leah's last words. She's going to have some, hey, Ish, get ready. Some hard questions are coming your way uh, around about 10 to 3. Anyways. Maybe she can ask you some questions since it's her last day, huh? How about that? Put Ben Jarofsky in the hot seat. I'll tell you Why do you thing. wear that hat all the time? <laughs> well, the question is, why are you wearing your hat, your, your Chicago Reader hat? Oh, I forgot it at home. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I meant to wear it because uh, it was the last it was, day. Um, yes, we have a hat policy here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, started with Dennis and Miles. Miles will be returning next week, uh, so it's good to know uh, Miles will be returning. Anyway, uh, Leah is, uh, yeah, I'll let you know what? Grill me like a tuna, all right? Give me some questions. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing, 
I'm not going to duck and dodge him like a lot of these politicians, huh? I don't know. He might. <laughs> Depends on what you ask. Um, good. Uh, don't ask me about Kim Fox, okay? Uh, I don't want to talk about Kim Fox. Oh, man, I love that. We used to, for for a while, when that story smelled like eight broke, all our liberal, uh, a lot of our liberal people would come in here, oh, Ben, uh, don't ask me about Kim Fox. <laughs> come on, man. Say what you think. It's not going to, you know, the, the ceiling's not going to cave in if you say what you think. Anyway, that's where we have ahead of us. What you got for me, young man? Well, we'll begin with uh, what's happening in Illinois and Chicago this afternoon. By the way, I'm Dennis. How's it going, guys? <laughs> it's a good day for Illinois governors. First oh. off, listen to this rock star Thursday schedule for our current <laughs> Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker. All right? J.B. He was in Nashville this morning. Mm. Yes, Tennessee. There's no Nashville, Illinois. He was in Nashville, Tennessee this morning to address Democratic state lawmakers at the National oh, Conference yeah. of State Legislatures. Mm. Maybe he uh, sang a little Hank Williams Jr. while he was in Tennessee as well. No, you know what he sang? What? There's a song called Nashville Cats. Nashville Cats, as cool as country water. Anyway, uh, do you know who sang that song? No? <laughs> Leah, do you know who sings that song? No. I got all these who sings that song? John Sebastian. Oh, oh John okay. Sebastian. That's from the baby boomer era. Wait, let me look on the uh, YouTube stats here. Yeah, uh, all the listeners are gone. Hey, time out for 10. Oh, if you can pull this off. For 10 trivia points, what 1970s sitcom did John Sebastian sing the song for? The opening song for 1970s sitcom. I loved it. Country singer? Uh, he's more like a folk rock type singer, but he sings country ass songs. Good times. <laughs> no, not good. I love good times. Give up? Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Okay. The the Ben Jarofsky singing portion of today's program. Do you know that show? Yeah. Uh, John Travolta. Welcome back, Cutter. Yes. John. By the way, I watched a little Pulp Fiction last night. Oh. Okay. John Travolta. I watched the scene, your favorite scene. What was it? Uh, your 50th time seeing it? <laughs> I didn't watch the home. I just went. I don't know why. I saw it was on Netflix. Oh, I'll just watch a little bit. I'll just watch the opening scene where uh, Samuel Jackson and Travolta go meet uh, the big brain on Brad, not Brad. And uh, I ended up watching through the uh, scene where um, he takes uh, Marcellus Wallace's wife out there. Hey, you want to talk about Jamie Pritzker? Oh, sorry. And his schedule? Mm-hmm. Uh, All right. So he was in uh, Nashville, Tennessee this morning mm-hmm. to address Democratic state lawmakers at the National Conference of State Legislators. And right now, he's either in the air are already back in Springfield <laughs> to cut the ribbon and open the 2019 Illinois State Fair. Illinois State Fair, home of the 2019 Illinois State Fair, Butter Cow. It's the Butter Cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Since at least 1922. Oh, my God. Since 1922. <laughs> he loves that Butter Cow. Uh, hey, yes. by the way, here's the picture. All right. There's JB. All right, Juliana Stratton as well. All right. Pritzker is then going to be in the Illinois State Fair Twilight Parade mm. alongside the Parade Grand Marshal, Olympic star and homegrown 618 downstater from East St. Louis, Illinois, uh. Jackie joyner Kersey. Slow down, JP. <laughs> Slow down, man. Yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, big fan of Jackie joyner Kersey. So yeah, no, JP's living the good life, huh? My goodness. Like I said, a good day for Illinois governors. And you know, even the one who uh, has been in prison for yeah. a decade, even mm. a good day for him. Yes, yes former Illinois Governor Rod Blagoy now, unlike J.B. Pritzker, Rob Lagojevich's Thursday schedule consists of well, not much, really, just sitting around. He's still in prison. Mm-hmm. But thanks to Donald Trump, 
That soon may change. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Lynn Sweet. President Donald Trump said Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night that he is considering, quote, very strongly <laughs> commuting the sentence of former uh. Illinois Governor Rob Blagojevich, who most of us know is serving a 14-year sentence in a federal prison for corruption. Speaking to reporters on Air Force One as they flew back to Washington from El Paso, Texas, the president said he was open to giving Blagojevich, who's now 62 years old, a break. Trump said he knew he was making news with his comments, saying, quote, that's a pretty big story. <laughs> ben Jarofsky, is the president right? Is this a pretty big story? Uh, yes, he's right on both. He's right to uh, commute the sentence if he does it, and he's right it's a big story. And this is one of the few instances where Donald John Trump and I agree. I felt, and I always start off by saying this, I was no big fan of Rod Blagojevich uh, as a state rep, as a congressman, or as a uh, governor. He was no big fan of me. Uh, as a columnist for the reader. So there's not a lot of love between Bogoyevich and Ben. But having said that, outrageous sentence against him. I feel that uh, he was like a scapegoat that uh, it was almost like Illinois politics was trying to purify itself by throwing rocks at him. It's like that old story, that Shirley Jackson story, where they pick one person out and they throw the rocks at him. And uh, I'm not quite sure if what he did constitutes a crime as opposed to, you know, like what happens every day uh, in the city of Chicago where people, politicians uh, shake down uh, people doing business with the city for contributions. Uh, it, at the very least, it's inconsistently applied. So um, I, I felt that was an unfair sentence of too long sentence and it was given to him because he thumbed his nose at the prosecutors and the judge and the whole system he he he, pulled, he behaved like trump uh in the, the months leading up to his trial and so he paid for it and so i think it's good it's it's about time he got let out of jail but you know d you know i uh, love this story because uh the biggest i would say loser as a result of donald john trump's bizarre little uh admiration for blagojevich is of course your old friend uh former governor bruce rauner who uh was was using blagojevich tapes remember the tapes the conversations between blagojevich and pritzker rauner was using those in his commercials and he was going to try to rile up illinois voters against pritzker by by trying to draw an association between between Bogoyevich and Pritzker, and guess what? When Donald Trump starts speaking up on behalf of uh, Rod Bogoyevich, the uh, Trumpsters throughout the state, and anybody who's a Republican is basically a Trumpster, they just follow him off a cliff. They flip-flopped, and suddenly Bogoyevich wasn't a bad guy to Republicans, and that just killed that issue for Rauner. And I think he dropped the commercials, D. You know, those commercials, I didn't hear those commercials during the campaign, probably because Republicans uh, were buying into the Trump, uh, the Trump logic that somehow or other Trump himself was a victim of the same overreach by federal prosecutors. So uh, Donald Trump did a big favor for the state of Illinois uh, by uh, weighing in on behalf of Blagojevich because it killed probably the best issue Bruce Runner had going for him. The former governor's wife, Patty Blagojevich, has been waging a campaign aimed at Trump to free Blagojevich. And uh, how do we know that it was aimed at Trump? Well, because Patty Blagojevich booked appearances mainly through Fox News. And we all know Trump loves him some Fox News. Mm-hmm. Ben, what did you think of those appearances, by the way? Uh, the, I, the, the, the original Patty, ones? Patty, yeah. Yeah, she was pretty forceful. Yeah, I give her credit for it. She did a good job. Now, Trump noticed saying, quote, And I watched his wife on television <laughs> saying that the young girl's father has been in jail for now seven years and they've never seen him outside of an orange uniform. You know, the whole thing. His wife, I think, is fantastic. And I'm thinking about commuting his sentence very strongly. I think he was. I think it's enough. 
seven years. Yeah, I uh, I don't understand like what something provoked Trump to to suddenly weigh in on Blagojevich. I'm not, I'm not clear what it is from the, from the articles, uh, I, or maybe he's just uh, feeling the pressure from the federal investigators uh, zeroing in on him, and so every now and then he has to use Blagojevich as an example of what he considers federal overreach, prosecutorial overreach. Uh, so he could say he too is a victim, but I don't know. I do not know what. Uh, ignited this latest uh rhetorical outburst by the way he could have commuted the sentence last year on what he's he, he donald if you're complaining about the time that bogoyevich is uh being in jail i gotta tell you you could let's just add that to the list of things that republicans can do uh and, you know you could commute him today it'd be over so I don't know why you're, the delay is your fault, not anybody else's. Well, you ask about the timing, so I'm going to ask you the Blago question. Ben Jarofsky, mm-hmm. when releasing Blago, help Donald Trump in the polls come 2020. Is this a long game plan here, or is he just desperate to talk about anything else besides him being a raging lunatic of a president? <laughs> I think it's just the latter part. I don't think it'll help him in any way with the polls. I mean. I don't think any there's I don't think there's a constituency out there that really wants Rod Bogoyevich out of jail. You know what I mean? That other than Bogoyevich's family. I don't think Bogoyevich has a, like the Bogoyevich lovers out there. Although who was it? I had I was talking to someone the other day who's you know, I like Bogoyevich. He gave seniors free rides on the C T. I remember when I've that heard happened. People say that, yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I was oh my god, the raging fights I had with so many of my liberal friends who were outraged by that. I was like, we should have Free transportation for everybody. How about that? You're crazy. I was Bernie before Bernie D. Anyway, I, I, some, you know, not I'm thinking about. There's a couple things Bogoyevich did that oh, I like. Wow, the old guy in favor of the senior citizen uh, well, move well, there. At the time, just can I say this uh, for the sake of clarity? I wasn't quite as old then as I am now. <laughs> so you've come around yeah, on that one. No, in I the liked years. it then. Oh, I liked okay. it then. I thought it was the first step toward free public transportation for everybody. I don't know why. Okay, we have, we're, fa- okay, we're on a tangent within a tangent. We we are facing a, a climate crisis all right we want to get people out of their cars we want to give people an incentive so why not have free public transportation for everybody why not make transportation more available you know what i'm saying d i mean why are we restricting it why do we keep raising the prices you and i know how much they charge us because we take the the train every day so uh i thought because i I know he wasn't thinking long-term when he did that. I, I'm sure he was doing it to irritate somebody or to win over seniors. And then remember he got so mad? Remember the tape with Dave McKinney? We played oh, Dave McKinney. McGoyevich, I gave them beep. Senior citizens free beep. And they didn't care about me beep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very foul-mouthed uh, voicemails left by Rob McGoyevich. Yeah. You can check that interview out, by the way, uh, deep in the Ben Jarofsky Show archive. I believe we did that in the first month we were doing the show. Go check it out. One of our most popular Saturday segments. Bonus segments, Dave McKinney tapes. Uh, Dave McKinney, the great reporter for WBEZ, did the deep dive on Rob Bogoyevich. And uh, it's still it's still worth a listen, I think, D. All right, on to the Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Today, Mayor Lightfoot was at the After School Matters headquarters for the summer teen cuisine series. Oh, okay. Yeah, rumor has it she tried making it a teen cuisine luncheon. She loves luncheons, guys. <laughs> Then she'll visit Morgan Park High School. Ben Jarowski, quick, what ward is Morgan Park High School in? Uh, well, Morgan Park, I believe, is in the uh, 18th ward or the 21st ward. It's on the southwest side on Vincennes, uh, and it's head, it's, a, it's like Morgan Park, Beverly area. So, I, you know, the boundaries of all those wards sort of crisscross. It could be either 19th, 18th, or 21st. 
I have it at 1744 West Pryor Avenue, Correct. Chicago, Illinois, 60643. Well, it's it's if you go to get there, it's I don't know what little street it's on, but Vincennes is the big street that goes right past Morgan Park. Come on, boy. I know Morgan Park High School. They got a great basketball team. Uh, I've seen their by the way, for here you go. Uh, what frequent guest on this show is a graduate of Morgan Park High School? Doris Davenport. <laughs> She's from New York. She's actually from Jersey. Uh, uh, Evan Moore. Oh, yeah. shout out to Evan Moore. We got to get him back on the show. Yes, we do. So she, uh, she'll visit Morgan Park High School. She's there to announce critical building investments at more than 400 neighborhood schools across the city as part of the CPS FY20 budget. Later, she'll visit the Apple Store on Michigan Avenue. No, not to get a new charger, but maybe. <laughs> Who knows? She's attending Apple's Everyone Can Code Showcase. What? Everyone can code. I, and, I know I can't code. Yeah, I know. You didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> Turns out Lightfoot has got something going on with Trumps with the Trumps as well. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. Oh, yeah. And once again, Lynn Sweet. Back-to-back Lynn Sweet oh, stories there. here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. She's covering the waterfront. After Ivanka Trump's tweets about violence in Chicago sparked an angry response from Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Tuesday, the daughter and top advisor to the president tried to limit the damage, mm. offering an olive branch to keep a new relationship intact. What do you think about that, Ben? An olive branch. Oh, yeah. What was the branch? Well, a White House official told the Chicago Sun-Times that Ivanka Trump wants to work with City Hall to plan, quote, an event surrounding workforce development and economic opportunity in Chicago and, quote, we are hopeful that Mayor Lightfoot is a catalyst for change okay. in the city. This this is like the theme of the day. It's actually going to be the, the theme of the year. Ivanka Trump is the daughter to the president. She does not hold a position in the White House. She's not a government official. This is this is like a PR game being played out. Why is she the front person negotiating with the city of Chicago? And by the way, why did something legitimate offered the city of Chicago? You want to make peace with the city of Chicago? You want to show that you care about the people who live in the city of Chicago, particularly in tough neighborhoods where there's high crime? Why don't you offer some kind of assistance? I keep saying this. I don't understand it. You say you want to get black votes. You say you want votes from the inner city. Why don't you do something positive, proactive? Instead, you just want to use the city of Chicago and its crime rate as just your talking point when you're fighting Democrats. And so I, the whole thing is very bizarre, D, that they Ivanka Trump is the person who's the front person on this. Donald Trump, the president, and I, he'll meet with Kanye West, right? He'll meet with Kanye and sit there baffled while Kanye, you know, talks about vibrations or whatever. But he'll never come meet with Lori Lightfoot. He'll never talk with congressmen from the city of Chicago. So uh, very strange. Ronald Reagan had much more uh, to do with uh, Chicago congressmen than uh, Donald Trump, that's for sure. After Lightfoot's scorching comments and the mayor reaching out to the White House, Ivanka Trump's chief of staff, Julie Radford, phoned City Hall saying that their Office of Intergovernmental Affairs spoke with Lightfoot's team on Wednesday. And we'll end out with some Chicago news here. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox has her first of... Yeah. What's expected to be many opponents mm-hmm. in next year's primary. Bill Conway yeah. is his name. He's a former local prosecutor and Navy mm-hmm. veteran, and he's getting into the race to unseat Kim Fox. Ben, before we go any further, do you know anything about this yeah. Bill Conway? Yeah, we talked about him before. We had we, we talked about him with Romano. We'll probably talk about him again uh, with Romano. He's the son of a billionaire. That always helps, right? Uh, yeah. A, a, a private equity firm. Um, I can't remember it offhand. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he comes from money, which will help obviously to uh, to run his campaign. And he was the 
actual lawyer who first made him a name for himself by representing uh, someone who had been uh, in a similar situation as Jesse, Jesse Spallett. Uh, and so, yeah, obviously, uh, Kim Fox uh, is flawed uh, right now. She um, She's tied, permanently tied to this Jesse Smollett controversy. I, I'm sure she rues the day she ever took that phone call from Tina Chen, which uh, got this thing going. She should have just ignored the phone call, in my humble opinion. Uh, and it really hurt. I, I believe she was making a good uh, faith effort for uh, the movement of alternative sentencing and uh, uh, trying not to just throw so many people in jail and trying uh, different ways to keep people out of jail for all the obvious reasons. That's something that Donald Trump supposedly believes in too as well. So I'm surprised, you know, the, hey, the White House, anytime they want, they can lend a hand on that as well. Uh, you know, money for job training programs for people who, as alternative to sentencing, I'm putting them in jail. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, you know how politicians are, D. They see, they see someone's flow. They see what's damaged. They see what's hurting. Oh, yeah, I'm going right at them. So uh, Bill Conway is the first of many. Uh, and I'm looking at a picture of him right now. Here you go. Here's the picture of this young man. Oh, okay. give those He's got the, that, viewers a look. The, the Pete Buttigieg look. Pete Buttigieg has started this new look. No jacket, just the white shirt and the tie. I'm thinking of getting that look, D. Oh, yeah? Thinking about going uh, going for the Buttigieg look, yeah, huh? Yeah, I'm just going to wear that white shirt with the button-up and the tie. Yeah, and... That'll last like three days. <laughs> I hate ties. Oh, yeah, you'll, get, you'll, you'll get like like soup or something on your tie. Oh, man, I'm done with this. <laughs> soup. Finally comes Cream the... cheese. That's oh. usually... Or guacamole. More like avocado, man. I'm always like, when I eat the avocados, oh, no, the avocado fell into... <laughs> Anyway, the following comes to the Chicago Sun-Times and not Lynn Sweet. This is from Rachel Hinton. Bill Conway's Thursday announcement makes him Fox's first official Democratic opponent, though others like former Cook County Commissioner Richard Boykin have also said they're eyeing bids to unseat the embattled state's attorney. Hey, Richard Boykin, we know him. Yeah, Boykin, he was the one who should have run. Yeah, I know, Richard, you're listening out that you should have run against Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, then you read th- he was the commissioner who led the insurrection on the soda pop tax. So, yeah, he's thinking of run against uh, Fox as well. Conway said he decided to launch a bid against Fox because he believes the office needs a change. And he's seen, quote, how important it is to have an honest and fair state's attorney's office. Ben, why do you think Bill Conway decides to launch a bid against Fox? Because he thought he could win. <laughs> OK, yeah. It's like if Conway, if uh, Fox hadn't gotten into trouble over Justice Smollett, you wouldn't see Conway running. Let's be honest, folks. Again, they sense that she's uh, weak. They sense uh, that she's beatable they're going after it you know and the, the guy's ambitious you know like i said he's got a nice tie uh that's a start right he's got a nice tie. he's got a nice tie d all right you go far in this world with a nice tie so you know he's an ambitious guy he's got comes from money and he wants to be state's attorney and this conway feller he isn't playing around he has even put out an election ad let's hear him out this thing was over two minutes all right i cut it down to oh, one good. Here we go. Bill Conway, candidate for Cook County State's Attorney Q, whatever music is in the background. My name is Bill Conway, and I'm running for state's attorney. Let's go after the gangs profiting by flooding our streets with illegal guns. The old way of keeping illegal guns off our streets isn't working. I want to use new tactics to track down and stop the funding that brings illegal guns onto our streets. If we do that, If we dismantle the criminal organizations supplying our neighborhoods with illegal guns, it will make us all safer. I believe the office where I once worked, a place I really respected, needs change. The state's attorney's office should be fair, just, and equal. Everyone, regardless of their race, 
zip code, or income level should be treated fairly. Too often our criminal justice system puts people in jail because they're poor or addicted, ruining their lives. We can enact real criminal justice reform, stop needless incarceration of nonviolent offenders, and keep the most dangerous off our streets. And we can stop the gun epidemic that haunts our homes and plagues our community. All right, all right, yeah, he's all over the map with that one because he first he came out strong uh, saying that he's going to lock up uh, the, the gun dealers and uh, the gun users. He's going to be tough. And, and then all of a sudden uh, he switched and started talking about uh, justice and being fair and how you mete out punishment. Uh, so it's clear to me uh, he, has, he hasn't quite figured out exactly what his message is except that I am not Kim Fox. That seems to be his message. And by the way, uh, I'm thinking about this. The state's attorney's office has been a springboard uh, in the past for people who are trying to uh, advance their careers. Uh, Well, I can think of two cases. Uh, A certain mayor of the city of Chicago named Richard M. Daly uh, began his career as a Cook County state's attorney. Uh, Spent most of his time looking the other way uh, as John Burge uh, and his crew was torturing people uh, in police custody. And then way back when, D, way, way before your time, way, way before Miles' time, way, 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 way before Leah's time, there's a guy named Ben Adamowski. Ah, yes, Ben Adamowski. I may be the only guy who remembers him, but uh, he was a reformer. it, uh, he was a Republican, a good Republican. That was the days you had some good Republicans. Uh, he was always battling old man Daly. And he ran for, uh, for mayor uh, against Daly in 63 using the office as of springboard. He did not win, but he used that office that way. Holy crap, you're old. Conway said the case of Jesse Smollett <laughs> is one place to start. But once the onion is peeled back, you see the, quote, political calculations involved in that process. And it's scary to think about the politics calculations that went into other cases the office handles. Right. Former Co- uh, Cook County Judge Pat O'Brien has decided to run against Fox as a Republican. Mm-hmm. He filed paperwork with the state's election board to form campaign fundraising committee last month. So there you are, some local news. Can you feel that in the air, Ben? Miles, Comp Flassen, he's with us. Can you feel can you feel something in the air? Well, it's football season. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. Yeah. 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 Which tonight means, is tonight, right? Well, it means that the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, yeah, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big play scores and stories from The Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can test out digital access for only $1. Seriously, $1. There is no reason to not give this a shot. Stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters. Cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. And go deep inside City Hall with the best in-class political reporting. $1. $1, I say, for your first month. You can't do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. People do not go anywhere. We got Miles Complassen in studio. We're going to take a quick little break. And right after that, we're going to talk to Miles. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. 
my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL resident. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. Very good. Miles Kamplassen from In These Times, ace reporter from In These Times, is with us in the studio. A lot to talk about, Miles. Uh, appreciate you coming in. And number one on the agenda, let's talk about those Democratic Socialists. You were at their convention. Is that correct, sir? That's right. All right, talk about that. Was it in Atlanta? I thought it was Nashville, but I was wrong. You corrected me. It was in Atlanta. Talk about what went Beautiful back. state of Georgia. Um, I ate a, a Georgia peach while I was there. I yeah. went to the Waffle House, had Ooh. myself the full all-star breakfast. Those waffles can't be beat. Okay. Drink a little sweet tea? I didn't have sweet tea, but you know, they serve the... Um, uh, the hash browns multiple ways. You get them smothered. You get them. You new cheese or onions as a whole other <laughs> language than what we know up here yeah. from our, our diner life. Um, but the, <laughs> the main of, the main event, of course, the, was the the convention. And so this um, happens every two years. Uh, it's the actual decision making, the democratic decision making body of the national organization of the Democratic Socialists of America, which, as some of your listeners may know, it has certainly um, emerged as a player on the national political scene. This organization. Most notably, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib, two House representatives, are members of DSA. Um, And DSA has just worked to have a more um, vocal presence in the electoral arena. And that has uh, meant that there's up and down the ballot been candidates that are trying to align themselves with DSA's values. Uh, And every two years, the organization comes together to decide on the future direction of you know how it's going to operate because it's built on the concept of democracy unlike many other leftist organizations and different types of political formations democracy is really central to DSA and so you you know some of the reporting on it has uh, talked about how frustrating that whole process is of voting on all these things following Robert's rules of orders um, but it's pretty incredible to see you know having as someone who's been in many different types of political spaces to see people have to work together and make political arguments um, and accept the resolution to them. You know, not everybody wins on what they want to get through. So that was pretty incredible. But, you know, what's gone kind of unseen is the fact that this is a pretty um, incredible political organization in that it's fighting for 
um, making economic rights human rights. And that's something we haven't talked about in national politics for a long time in terms of making sure that, you know, healthcare, education, housing, all these different elements of human life are guaranteed as a human right. And that's something that people across the organization believe there's just kind of different um, approaches to how to achieve that and how to, you know, form political alliances and coalitions to make those things happen. And that's why some of the focus was on this, you know, burning for bust kind of language. But the majority of the you know, convention from what I saw was people working together to push forward uh, campaigns at the local level around things like union organizing, around uh, climate action, all sorts of areas that are going to be critical for people that care about the future you know, of our economy and our country to um, get involved in in the next few years. Well, uh, before we get to burning your bus, which is a fascinating topic in and of itself, I talked briefly about it yesterday. Um, what were some of these... the the issues that they were debating, negotiating. For instance, I like what are the the differing sides? Let's say on healthcare. I would think uh, that uh, the Democratic Socialists of America would be. I, I don't. I don't. I'm. T- I'm trying to picture what disagreement they would have on an issue like healthcare. So, what are the two sides, if you will? Well, healthcare? I think it's it's less uh, on the issue of healthcare specifically. The debate is less on um, what we should be fighting for and more how to prioritize it and what to do about it. You know, how to if we should have organizations do their own canvases, say, to go door to door. If we should try to pressure our local representatives to sign on to you know the JAPA bill, Medicare for All bill in the House, or Sanders in the Senate. You know, how are we going to approach achieving Medicare for all? It's not necessarily about the end goal, which is to decommodify healthcare in the United States and make sure it's not just a right, but that it's accessible to everybody. You know that there's local rural hospitals that are available, that we can fund um, the type of vision and dental care that people need that is currently not funded under uh, Medicare. I think that the um, belief in health justice rings true across DSA. There are some other areas, though, where there is disagreement. One of them was, and this did not get focused on as much, but the question of kind of litmus tests for candidates if candidates need to say they are a socialist, an open socialist, in order to get the endorsement of DSA. That was a real debate that people, I think there were good arguments on both sides. It ultimately did not pass. Um, and, you know, I think that that is, makes a lot of sense in the sense that a lot of people are coming to socialism for the first time. They're yeah. just hearing about what this term means, what it's about, and maybe they're not comfortable uh, calling themselves that because they just don't know about it yet, really. And should those people be disallowed from being um, endorsed by the organization. Bernie himself, Bernie Sanders himself, does not call himself a socialist. Am I right about that? Well, he calls himself a democratic. So that's what it would be, is democratic socialist, what Bernie calls himself. Bernie is not, however, a member of DSA, unlike some of these other local elected officials, including six of the ones we have on city council here who are members and proudly call themselves democratic socialists. Were they there at the... Uh... So four of them were there. Um, they all got invites, but of course, people had different schedules. But Daniel Espada from the first ward was there, Carlos Ramirez Rosa from 35th, Rosana Rodriguez from 33, and then... Uh, Byron Sikcho from 25 all were there and they participated in a pretty incredible panel of um, over 20 elected socialists from around the country that were all coming together and so many of these folks were from red states they're from you know you would be considered Trump country and they talked about how they ran explicitly on the immorality of capitalism on how our current economic system is punishing poor people and specifically poor people of color and that the way to combat that is to push forward a bold left-wing agenda 
agenda that, you know, it's not even so much about left and right. It's about redistributing resources from the rich to the rest of our society. And that, that played, you know, whether they're judge races, whether they're city council, um, house representatives, there was people from all school boards, people from all manners of the um, political spectrum that were there that were endorsed by DSA and were speaking out about this. So it's clear. And that was not the case. I was at the convention two years ago here in Chicago, actually, and there just was not this electoral element of DSA. So that has been a massive change. Um, and it's because I think not only are the politics becoming more popular, you know, you see socialism written up in the New York Times, what, what have you, but also they're providing a real force on the ground. So people, you know, will go out and canvas, they'll go and, you know, work tireless hours to get these candidates elected. And everyone wants to have that, you know, like, regardless of where you stand politically, that is clearly an asset. So that's why we're seeing so many, especially in New York. Now, there's just so many candidates rushing to get the DSA endorsement. So that's a big change in how the organization um, is is seen. And uh, so was Alexander Ocasio-Cortez there? She was not. Um, actually, the person, though, who gave to uh, the keynote speech on Friday is this uh, incredible labor leader, Sarah Nelson, who folks might know, she's the head of the Flight Attendants Union. They are the union that famously broke uh, the January government shutdown that President Trump put in effect because they basically said, hey, we're going to we're going to go on strike. You know, the flight attendants threatened to withhold their labor to not go into work. And that would have shut down, you know, the um, aviation in America. Yeah. And so people, you know, everybody got freaked out. They made some phone calls to Trump and the Republicans. They said, you got to you got to yeah. shut this down. So that was an incredible showing. You know of strength. I, it's amazing you bring that back. And memory is, help me here. I can't remember what the issue Trump was trying, the concession he was trying to raise. the wall. He wanted was the, the wall. Yeah. He was funding for the wall. He shut down over the wall. I can't remember the specific concession. That's wild. So, so Sarah yeah. Nelson, you know, she <laughs> went on TV and she just railed against Trump yes, and said, look at the, what that. this guy's, mm-hmm. look what this guy's do. Look where his priorities are. Yeah. Is this what the kind of decisions our country wants to make? 800,000 federal workers were out of work, yeah, not getting paychecks. So for um, funding for the wall. That's right. Exactly. So she's a real working class hero. So she gave the keynote address the, uh, at the, um, convention that was, you know, a, a rousing speech. She's in contention to potentially be the next head of the AFL-CIO. You know, she has not announced a candidacy or anything yet, but, you know, those were the rumors. And uh, she showed why the type of support she has. She speaks like a real militant labor leader, like used to be the case, you know, decades past. We're so used to these labor leaders that are, you know, cozied up with the Democratic establishment and aren't trying to shake the boat. But Sarah Nelson, while she might not call herself a Democratic socialist, she actually also spoke at the local local Chicago DSA convention a few months ago as well. So she's, you know, making overtures herself to, to the group. And uh, so let's get down to Bernie or bust. Sure. Uh, this was uh, highlighted. The debate was highlighted in the New York Times story, which I, I'm sure you read. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I didn't see the Washington Post stories, but I'll bet it was uh, uh, in the story. So tell folks about uh, that, that debate. So um, I take issue a little bit with the way the framing around it, simply because there was nothing the, the resolution was not called Bernie or bust, right? And the, and what that immediately makes people think. And of course, they used that in the New York Times story. I think they did quote a delegate who used that yes. phrase. So you know, I, I understand, I get it, and that's what's in the topical parlance. At no point did uh, DSA say they're not going to support another candidate for president. They said that um, the resolution that passed said that DSA as a national organization would not endorse another.
other candidate if Bernie loses the um, the primary. Uh, so basically, that means they wouldn't, you know, put the same type of effort into um, pushing the the candidacy. That said, like you know, what the whole the whole reason that we're pushing the DSA is you know, talking about Bernie Sanders is because they're trying to help him win the primary. If he hasn't won the primary, there won't be a need to help anybody else win the primary because somebody else will have won the primary. And then they'll be in a general election against Trump. And at that point, you know, people, chapters can do whatever kind of organizing they want to do to stop Trump. And that happened in 2016, too. There was a whole, the DSA did not endorse Hillary Clinton, but there was a whole dump Trump campaign. And what that meant is that people in chapters and swing states went out and did canvas against Trump and um, specifically around either local candidates or ballot initiatives or all kinds of other things that were being voted on. They might not have been talking about how great Hillary Clinton was, but they certainly talked about how awful Trump would be as president and worked to convince people around that. And I think that that's what's get, what gets missed in some of this discussion is as if it's saying all these Democratic socialists are going to not vote, you know, if uh, Bernie's not the candidate. That's just not true. So there's a distinction between endorse and support. Sure. Endorse means the party itself uh, endorses uh, a candidate, Bernie. Yeah. Uh, support means individual members are allowed or free to do whatever they want. Well, and chapters, too. I mean, that's the thing is that a lot of the uh, DSA is decentralized in, in so many senses and that chapters make their own decisions. So, you know, the Chicago chapter is different from the Austin chapter, is different from the San Francisco chapter. And, you know, in some there's different from Iowa and Ohio and Florida and other swing states where there's going to be a lot more pressure to work to organize regardless of who the nominee is and who knows i mean the nominee could be elizabeth warren and bernie sanders could be her running mate you know we don't know and then and then and then you know where's the support lie i think tsa members would be very active if that was the case well why uh by the way so did it pass i'm gonna make sure i get this correct uh did the resolution pass that That one did pass yeah they would would not endorse a candidate other than bernie yeah and i do want to say though that um (laughs) that implies that another candidate would seek dsa's endorsement I don't know if that's true, you know. Well, all right, let's get to uh, the Elizabeth Warren question. Uh, I'm sure there were people that uh, talked about, you know, her uh, qualifications sure. for the um, the endorsement. What was the argument against uh, opening it up to Elizabeth Warren as well? Well, Elizabeth Warren's campaign has not needed to seek an, organ, an actual endorsement, for one. But also, um, the question around, you know, what type of candidates DSA would support... DSA is founded on the belief that we need a mass movement of working people across races uh, to come together to change politics in the country. That's basically what Bernie Sanders says all the time. He says the only way we're going to change the role of Wall Street in our economy, the only way we're going to, you know, shut down the, the influence of wall, of these health insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies, uh, the gun companies, what have you, is with working people demanding it out in the street, right? He has a theory of change that is focused on movement politics and focused on class struggle of saying that this there is a class war going on. On, the ruling class is winning. The working class needs to stand up and fight back. That's, you know, DSA's vision of how politics works as well and how we need to have our candidates talking in order to build the type of on the ground energy needed to shift politics, not through backroom deals, not through policy papers, not through the kind of traditional mechanizations of how politics is run in this country. I think that that is kind of the foundation of the argument around Bernie versus Warren is that Warren's vision of how politics works. She just doesn't talk like that. You know, she, she and she doesn't come from that background where saying that, you know, the, the 
the key to solving politics is mass movements, is, you know, the trade union movement coming together and working uh, across races to actually, you know, demand workers' rights. That's just not in her vocabulary right now. I think it could be. And honestly, I mean, as you mentioned, when it comes to policy, she does share a lot with Bernie. There's no doubt about it. But her approach to politics, and, and not on every issue, especially when it comes to things like foreign policy, there's plenty of differences between Warren and Bernie. Um, but I think it's more, the debate is more about that. And it's true she does call herself a capitalist. And so, you know, it does, that's, that might be rhetorical, but it does, it also would seem a little weird if the socialist organization says we're going to endorse the capitalists. It's, you know, somebody who just yeah. probably says it. So yeah. I think that there's a lot more to it. I don't think that there's ill will towards Warren. And certainly the feeling I got from being on the convention floor yeah. was not, um, if Bernie doesn't win, we're going to sit out this election. I think that there's a sense, you know, your guest yesterday, Monroe Anderson, kind of compared um, the feeling of uh, the, on, the, on the left pushing for Bernie to what's going on with these, you know, pro-Trump, far-right people. I take issue with the idea that there's, uh, you know, some accelerationists in the party or in the organization of DSA. Of course, there might be some people that want to, you know, so, so-called like heighten the contradictions and keep Trump in power because that's going to show the depravity of our capitalist system at its core. And, you know, that mm-hmm. will actually be helpful in pushing left-wing politics. Most people, the vast, vast majority of people at that convention and DSA, I think, see Donald Trump as helping to fuel a deep, deep um, toxic cruelty in this country that is being... Um, played out in the streets when we see this in El Paso when, you know, there's a somebody willing to drive across the state to go kill Hispanic people because they're in fear of an invasion, you know, which Trump has talked about nonstop. When we see over, you know, uh, 600 migrants rounded up, uh, or un- I'm sorry, undocumented immigrants rounded up in Mississippi, the biggest raid uh, in a decade that just happened. This is the type of racist terror that is being unleashed by the Trump administration. And people rightly see that as a threat against, you know, humanity in our country, and they are going to work to defeat that. I don't buy the argument that, you know, the d- socialists are just like the far right because they just want purity or something. I yeah. don't think that's really what it comes down uh, to. Someday, maybe I'll arrange for you and Monroe to be in the studio together. That'd be fun to watch you two go at it. Uh, Monroe is very much, uh, I've had known him for a long time, I've had many, many political discussions with Monroe Anderson, uh, a traditional Democrat uh, who still has a bit of resentment. Oh my God, there are many of them come on this show. Resentment, strong resentment at uh, at Bernie supporters. They blame Bernie supporters. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if you have people in your family uh, like this. You know, everybody always talks about the divide uh, about a tangent with a tangent here one more time everybody talks about a divide in a family between a trump supporter and a non-trump supporter they don't know the left there's families where the divide is really between the like the more moderate liberal types who are enraged at the bernie types yeah uh or the greens in there you know there's some families we have green people in them and they won't vote yeah. at all and they're still mad about 2020 and ralph nader in florida so uh, I think that's where Monroe comes from. And uh, a lot of our guests come from that. I understand that. I do. I will just say, you know, when we look at the results of the recent elections, it's true. There were some Bernie supporters that sat out the general election or maybe even some that switched to Trump. Tiny, tiny, tiny portion. That that number paled in comparison to the amount of Hillary voters in 2008 that then switched their votes and voted for McCain instead of uh, Obama after Hillary lost the um, is that the, true? the primary. Of course, it You've is seen, true. I haven't seen those numbers. Is I, that for I, real? I, I can guarantee you. Yeah, and the 
you know, this is this is what happens. Primaries happen, and certain candidates don't win, and their supporters choose to sit out the election or vote for somebody else. It happens every time. There yeah. was not some new thing where this just happened in 2016 that Bernie supporters, you know, well, the big difference in line. obviously is that Obama won in 28 in 20, 2008, mm-hmm. and uh, Hillary Clinton did not win. But I, I listen. There's a lot of scapegoating that goes on, and I, I absolutely draw the line. Uh, Miles, that the vilification of Green Party supporters for not voting, they liberals that say that do not know Green Party people. They just don't understand them. They'll never understand them. They Green Party people view the world differently than liberal Democrats, and they're never so you're not you can't expect a Green Party person to vote. For a Democrat, do you, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. It's yeah. So, oh, well, but I think most. I, I I don't think the Green Party is going to play as big of a role in this presidential election. Most likely, at least, you know, not in the primary. I think even if Joe Biden becomes the nominee, I think what you'll see is people from you know the liberal establishment to the socialist left rally together to defeat Trump. And there's plenty of other issues that you know people can knock on doors about rather than promoting Joe Biden if they want to get rid of Donald Trump in 2020. I can't remember the last time in this show, but uh, I, I think it was before the debates. I, I was wrong. I always confess I'm wrong. I predicted that Bernie and Elizabeth Warren would uh, go at each other. Because mm-hmm. remember that first night, I don't know if you saw it, but the first night they were both on the stage together. And instead, they joined forces and uh, were battling the Delaney's of the world. Uh, the, the I don't even know, the Republican lights up on the stage of the world. Uh, were you surprised by that tactic? I personally wasn't because I think that there's nothing to be gained by, from either of them to attack one another. Right now, the, you know, the person that is in the driver's seat is Joe Biden in terms of his national polling and in terms of his polling in some of those swing states as well. Now, a poll came out this week showing Bernie with four points below Biden in a national poll. I think it was an Emerson poll. Um, so uh, I don't think that that's uh, I don't think he's necessarily his lead as as strong as is always projected. That said, in terms of the lanes in the Democratic primary right now, there's two. There's Biden or there's Bernie, basically. And I mean, or, and Bernie and Warren, you could say, are the same. But the ideas of the party are being um, they're being defined by the left right now. And what Biden is saying is that we can't go that far. That's going to alienate you know, middle of the road voters, and we need to defeat Donald Trump. I'm the best person to do that. There is that has not been proven, you know, by any means. When you look at the head to head matchups, Sanders is doing just as well as Biden against uh, Trump. But that's that's been his argument, and that's what he's pushing for. So, and he is also representing the centrist. Um, uh, version of the party that is wants to see us, you know, compromise and wants to see us, you know, shake hands with the right and make some tweaks here and there and help lift up Obamacare a little bit to reach a few more people or something um, versus but what both Sanders and Warren are offering, which is a wholesale change to how American politics is set up and uh, who will win and who will lose out of the, you know, the results of a new government. And I don't think that uh, it would make sense for them to go after each other either, because as you can see from um, who's supporting them, they have kind of different constituencies right now in that Warren's supporters tend to be um, wealthier and college educated whites um, versus Bernie's supporters tend to be non-college educated, making under 50,000 
uh, people around the country. So they have kind of these different bases of support right now. So why would they go after each other? They should, you know, be trying to bring people into both of their camps so that their approach to how they want the Democratic Party to go wins out, especially considering we could be seeing a contested convention. Who knows where this is going to go right now? There's 20 candidates in the the race. Yeah, well, they'll fall out. But I, uh, I, I just don't get or uh, having the both of them on the ticket doesn't really make a lot of sense. At least it's well, it's unconventional because they're both roughly the same generation, same age. They're from the same uh, neck of the woods. Yeah. One's from uh, Vermont, the other's from Massachusetts. They both represent the same wing of Democratic parties. Generally, you try to broaden it out. And my, of course, my personal belief, not that anybody the Democrats listen to me, get uh, better O'Rourke on that ticket as the VP and send them down to Texas. That's 38 electoral votes mm-hmm. right there. That would disrupt the Republicans' entire path to presidential Absolute power of Texas flip. But I will say, if you looked this week, a poll came out showing both Biden and Sanders beating uh, Trump in Texas. Yeah, I saw that poll. And uh, that Texas is so huge. Just, I mean, we were really doing uh, the horse race before mm-hmm. <laughs> a year out. But yeah. Texas is so huge. And Democrats can flip Texas. That suddenly, the, the electoral map... Trump's really, you know, he's in a bind because he's going to be spending all his time in Wisconsin, Michigan. He's going to have to go down to Texas to fight. And if you have someone from, I mean, maybe Castro. I don't, I don't care who it is. Just mm-hmm. someone from Texas. Your job is to live in Texas for three months. Well, it would be especially good if uh, Castro or or O'Rourke ran against Cornyn down there for Senate. And, well, you all know. right, now you're into my favor. I don't know why one of. I don't even know why they're wasting their time in the. Uh, so one of them has to run in that race, in my humble opinion. That would be a, a great Well, I thing. think, the, as I've said before, I think on this show, I think most of the people are trying out for cabinet positions or agency heads or something like that. I mean, you know. You I have no them. idea what Delaney's trying out for. <laughs> God, he's trying out for the Republican Party. Exactly. Well, he wants to be the foil, but it worked pretty well because, honestly, I mean, that was, I think, one of the best lines of that debate was when Warren said, I don't know why you want to run for president yes. if you're just going to talk about what we can't do. Right. That's, I think, a you know brilliant tact to take. Uh, all right. Now, let's uh, switch it. Uh, go a little local Chicago Teachers Union uh, you've been following them there oh yeah uh, some interesting developments there with Lori Lake. well just today we uh, saw a press conference from CTU because the new um, the uh, administration has announced there's a new CPS budget coming out I think there was just a few uh, notes about it online I don't think the full report is out yet but they're uh, projecting a very rosy picture saying you know we're going to have more money we're going to be able to fund more things what the union is saying is then let's put that in the contract we want to have these things be enforceable you know uh, the Lightfoot administration floated hiring new librarians new social workers what have you um, then these wraparound services have been devastated over the past, as we know, over the past, you know, under Emanuel's stewardship of the Chicago public schools, we saw librarians, social workers, counselors, every, all these positions cut massively from the schools. And as a result, uh, their working conditions are terrible. So there's teacher shortages, at least when it comes to substitutes, especially in communities of color in the areas where there's the most, um, the, the schools have the least amount of funding. So CTU is saying, hey, if we have a rosy, you know, uh, outlook, let's put some of this funding into uh, our contract. And look, it, it sounds like they're ready to take a strike authorization vote if the um, administration does not come around. Now, we just published a piece on this by Carrie Leiterson at In These Times. I worked on, and of course, ace reporter Carrie Leiterson. Um, and she looked in and talked to folks at the union, the 
a Lightfoot administration, what do you know, would not talk to her. But uh, we got quotes from some folks, including our friend Dick Simpson, who we know is a endorsed Lightfoot and old school alderman and everything. He knows the position well. He says that, you know, once we get into the brass tacks, once Lori's team really comes to the negotiating table, things are going to change and we're going to see more concessions made to the teachers. But when we look what just happened in Los Angeles, teachers went on strike. They went on, you know, a week-long strike. They won 6% pay raise uh, annually in their contract. They, they won lower class sizes. They won better resources for their school. Um, that's a pretty huge win, you know, and it happened from going on strike. And what we've seen in, you know, West Virginia and Oklahoma across the country is that um, when teachers withhold their labor, they get better results, you know? So I, this is really going to be, I think it's going to be incumbent upon the Lightfoot administration to follow through because they made a lot of campaign promises about adequately funding education. Now the CTU famously endorsed her opponent, Tony Preckwinkle. So that, that that is a, you know, an actual issue, but the people that are being impacted are the, you know, uh, students in Chicago that are having to, you know, see a school system in tatters where, you know, you don't have the type of services that you really need to provide a full education, especially in a city that is experiencing such trauma due to the massive gun violence that is so, you know, economically segregated in our city. People are, you know, coming into school with PTSD. Of course they need counselors. Of course they need social workers. Lori Lightfoot, uh, I'm watching from afar. She reminds me of a lot of people in my family. She holds a grudge for a while. And uh, in fact, I'm surprised she may be a Jarofsky somewhere down deep inside. Uh, (laughs) We've been known to hold grudges for a long, long time. And uh, so Lori Lightfoot holds a grudge. And, you know, some of the grudges I can appreciate, like her grudge against Ed Burke. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the grudge that she seems to hold against Chicago Teachers Union, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping there's some peacemaker in the world somewhere who could sit the the two uh you know glory lightfoot down with uh, jesse sharkey or uh, stacy davis gates and let's let's you know like come on guys like we're all grown-ups here uh because it just seems like there's some bad blood that's well and i think that there is a possibility for that i mean we saw they the a strike averted the last time around too you know the they were on the verge you remember that was like a nighttime deal that was made that overdone uh, oh, yeah, under yeah. Ron. That was a one day. I think there was a one, literally a one day strike. Yeah, there uh, was yeah. the one day strike. That was uh, April first of yeah. I forget which year it was. Oh, but man, but, but during together. their last contract negotiation, they were on the verge of striking, and it was just you know it was, it was actual deal making that happened. So I think that there is still a possibility that a, a strike will be averted. Of course, but they say that you know the earliest date they can do it is September twenty fifth. Yeah, that's very close to now. So we could be uh, we could be seeing some real activity there. All right, before I bring on the J, uh, the great. J- Jake Lewis, he's sitting on deck, ready to come on. I got to ask you about Blago. Uh, Rod Blagojevich is in the news uh, again. I'm looking at it right here on my uh, front page of the Sun Times. Treated unfairly, Trump says he might commute sentence of Rod Blagojevich. I've already weighed in on this with my opinion. What's your opinion about all this? Well, can I start with a uh, offer some ten trivia points here? Oh yeah, uh, okay. well, I, trivia right nice, back at me. Nice. <laughs> uh, uh, what uh, What was the reason that uh, Rod Blagojevich was fired? by Trump on Celebrity Apprentice. Oh, God, you got me nailed there. I uh, didn't like his hair? No, it was uh, <laughs> uh, it was over uh, Blagojevich's lack of Harry Potter facts. You can look this up. Well, wait, it, time it, out. Did you know this because you watched the show or did you just read about this? I uh, My brain is full of strange worms in there. I don't know what they, you know, I don't know why I know this stuff. But he uh, famously didn't, he couldn't know that, didn't know the proper houses, the Hufflepuff and, you know, so forth of, uh, wow. uh, of uh, Harry Potter and he was fired and so the reason I bring this up is because I think that 
they're friends. You know, they were on, he was on Celebrity that Apprentice together. Of course, the Trump has some you know positive feelings towards Rob Goyevich. Also, as you've brought up, I mean, it, it it is exemplary of the way Trump views the justice system and saying that people are treated so unfairly and uh, uh, he's treated you. unfairly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but he uses Goyevich <laughs> as, as as an example of yeah. that. That said, they have such different politics. I mean. Clearly, you know, they've, they're both doing backroom deals and all that stuff. What Blagojevich was trying to do, as we know, he was trying to get a job at SEIU to, like, run a, you know, a department at SEIU. He, that, that, that's what he, he was trying to get. Of course, he was trying to, you know, sell the Senate seat as yeah. well. But this is, like, this isn't a guy trying to amass great power. He was trying to, like, get a, jo- a, a union job. Yeah. Well, no, it was, it was a couple of jobs he had. Again, I, I refer everybody to the Dave McKinney tape, and I'm doing this off the top of my head. At various times, he talked about a federal job, an important uh, mm-hmm. with the I think it was Department of Human Services he talked about that uh, he talked about appointing himself a senator he yeah. was all over the map with it I just uh, want to say not to you know I've got plenty of issues with uh, the career of Rob Bogoyevich as I know you do too but I will say this is somebody who <laughs> he was he, he expanded health care services in and access in Illinois he did the um, he got home care workers unionized. Absolutely. So that was had, a big the, contribution to SEIU, the home care. Uh, exactly. And so there were some, a lot of that's been papered over as his kind of progressive record. So uh, Yeah, and he, that's what he was mad at. All right, now, as long as you're doing Rob Lagoyevich trivia, you threw that one at me. That was okay. a good one. Okay. I'll come right dork. at you. Right okay. at Goyevich trivia. If you trivia. get this, I will buy you lunch at the restaurant of your choice. Okay. All right? This goes to Jake Lewis, too. He's looking at his phone. He doesn't count. He's cheating already. Typical <laughs> millennial. I'll look it up on my phone. All right. For 10 trivia points, what high school did Rod Blagojevich attend? Oh, my goodness. No phone, ladies and gentlemen. I don't... Is it like Winnetka or something? No, no, no. Was it Chicago? Chicago. Oh, my God. Lincoln Park? Negatory. Foreman High School, northwest side of Chicago. Jake Lewis knew that. Uh, uh, He's like, huh? (laughs) Yes. uh, And it was a long time ago. Rob Bukovich from the northwest side of Chicago. And he was also a Golden Glove boxer. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. But did you know? I mean. um, uh, (laughs) Now we're showing up. Well, well, Dee mentioned earlier that uh, Bukovich hasn't been doing much in the jail cell. Not true. He's actually been uh, teaching courses. And he's the lead singer in his jailhouse rock band. That's correct. Uh, (laughs) Mueller weighs in with that one. All right. His name is Miles Conflassen. Miles, tell folks where they can get a hold of you, uh, where they can find your latest articles from In These Times, etc. Sure. Please go to InTheseTimes.com. Read up. Uh, You should check out that Kerry Leiderson piece on the CTU contract fight. Um, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at, uh, at Miles K. Lassen, M-I-L-E-S-K-L-A-S-S-I-N. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be back on here soon. Yes. And Car- uh, Carrie Leiterson, that is the Carrie Leiterson who we did a bonus interview. She's on, uh, we can find her right now. D was on Monday. We, we played yep. that. But yep. That's a fascinating interview. Carrie Leiterson wrote the book, Mayor 1%. She has some pretty good anecdotes to talk about uh uh, Mayor Rahm and her days writing about Mayor Rahm, a, a great progressive writer, Carrie Leiterson. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Miles. We have uh, Jake Lewis on deck. We're going to bring him on when we return. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. 
man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. If you've heard anything about me and my campaign, you've heard that someone is running for president who wants to give every American $1,000 a month. I know this may sound like a gimmick, but this is a deeply American idea from Thomas Paine to Martin Luther King to today. Let me tell you why we need to do it and how we pay for it. Why do we need to do it? We already automated away millions of manufacturing jobs, and chances are your job could be next. If you don't believe me, just ask an auto worker here in Detroit. How do we pay for it? Raise your hand in the crowd if you've seen stores closing where you live. It is not just you. Amazon is closing 30% of America's stores and malls and paying zero in taxes while doing it. We need to do the opposite of much of what we're doing right now. And the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math. So let me share the math. $1,000 a month for every adult would be $461 million every month right here in Detroit alone. The automation of our jobs is a central challenge facing us today. It is why Donald Trump is our president, and any politician not addressing it is failing the American people. All right, hour number two of the Ben Jarofsky Show is just moments away, but before we get into that, first off, I can feel it in the air. It's football season. Well, almost, which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, yes, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited access to all of the stories that you love. Don't miss a game this season. Get all the big play scores and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters and go inside City Hall with the best-in-class political reporting and, of course, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. I looked online. I searched. 
You cannot do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. And before we get into the second hour of the program, we need to remind you that the Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by unions. A few of them, like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. We cannot thank these unions enough for jumping on board and bringing back our program. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. It is Thursday, August 8th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, union man Jake Lewis of the Chicago Federation of Labor returns, and also making his return, aldermanic aide, and just a all-out good guy, Ishmael Cuevas. Now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Jake Lewis in the studio-ish on his way before we bring Jake on. What you got for me, D? All right. We have an update here. A Mayor Lori Lightfoot budget gap update. Oh, I know. Update. I didn't know about this. Go ahead. The following comes from Crane Chicago Business. And if you ask our host, the (laughs) worst poker player in all of Chicago, Greg, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, Hines. Wait, Hines wrote a story? Hines wrote a story. Uh Uh-oh. What did he write? After months of quiet study and political speculation, (laughs) the new mayor, Lori Lightfoot, is finally ready to provide some solid guidance Uh on how to fill a 2020 budget hole well north of $740 million good lord and she set a date for outlining her plans lightfoot plans to deliver a major speech outlining what she's concluded about the city's financial status and outlining steps she's actively considering to close the gap in an interview the mayor told hines the speech is set for august 29th and in it she'll review quote available options if not necessarily propose a final spending plan which is not due until the early fall lightfoot said her staff is looking at quote three or four possible locations to deliver to uh, deliver the address with the goal of speaking to a quote city club like group mm. her reference was to the city club of chicago ben's been there they gave him they gave him a certificate yeah, there it is oh yeah <laughs> it's, being hit. it's up there next to the, the city mark sims bottles of sparkling grape juice the city club of chicago which has a long standing reputation for inviting in politicians of all ideological ideologies and parties for detailed discussion of policy issues. Yeah, but don't let Ben start talking about politics. They'll <laughs> shut him up real quick. Yeah, they did, man. They go, stop talking so much. Take your piece of paper, wear a blazer next time, and get out of here. Yeah, they got mad at me. They wear a tie. Lightfoot said she'll start uh, by detailing ways in which she's moved to cut spending. And uh, rumor has it that afterwards they played a game of poker and Lightfoot just took all his money. <laughs> oh, but no, Greg Hines, you know, a, a fine writer, Needs a little help with his understanding of TIFF. I, I, I'm there for you, Greg, next time you're confused. Uh, but the world's worst poker player, as we know. I used to play poker with him way back when in the 80s. Now, this is interesting. She's going to do a speech. Every mayor has his or her own style for unveiling the budget. I miss the days. I can't believe I'm saying this. Ken Davis, I know you know what I'm going to say out there. I miss the days of Mayor Richard M. Daley. He would have these budget hearings at various locations around the city of Chicago, one on the northwest side, one on the south side, one on the west side. And he would have all of his department heads 
heads. Uh, Jake, this is before your time. So I don't know if you uh, ever saw anyone at any one of these meetings. All of his department heads would be, it was like the, the last supper. They would all be lined up on a table <laughs> facing everybody and he would be in the middle and they always put the police chief next to him. I don't know, like to protect him or something. Who knows? And the budget chief would be on the other side of him and people would ask him questions. And the whole pretense, follow me in this, Jake, is that he would be listening. To, his budget wouldn't have been made yet because he wanted to hear what the people had to say. How can you make a budget if sure. you haven't heard from the people? Participatory. Participatory democracy. So he would listen to what the people say and then supposedly he would go back to City Hall and write the budget. Now, personally, I'm just saying, I personally believe the budget was already written and it was just a dog and pony show. But I loved it. They used to give out little trinkets, like little notepads. Did you ever say, show up with any ideas? I had plenty of ideas. Did I ever articulate my ideas? Did you no. ever articulate no, your ideas? No, I just sat in the back of uh, in the room and <laughs> head in your hands, <laughs> took, took notes, and uh, you know then would write a story about. I always have ideas. I just never uh, uh, Mayor Daly. I'd like to meet. But the one time I was at the hearing was my favorite times, Jake, and um, I think it was uh, at a school. A Falconer School in the far northwest side of Chicago. And uh, this was in the height of people loving Mayor Daly. Okay. And a woman got up there, and she and I'm, I paraphrase as best as I can, the sunrises never look so good as they have since you've been mayor. I'm like, <laughs> God damn, lady, what do you want, a garbage can? It's good. And Daly, oh, thank you, thank you. Anyway, so uh, Lori Lightfoot's just going to deliver a speech. Uh, she's No budget hearings, it says, D? No, just going to deliver the speech? Yeah, is I, that believe, it? I believe the speech, yeah, August 29th. Get ready. Well, this uh, is probably probably kick off to budget season right she's got a, a couple different steps along the way in their big budget speech later in september october where she sort of lays it all on the line so i think this is kind of the the first salvo on the whole thing i get you so in other words just some general themes that she throws yeah, out set the tone kind of give the uh the mayor's opinion on what the options are and then i'm sure there will be plenty of folks interesting and in, interested in weighing in with their thoughts on those. Well, well, I hope she brings back. Uh, Mayor Rom killed the budget hearings because he uh, the the first year he had them. It is he had his own style for doing them, Jake. But the first year he, he there was some criticism from unions. Actually, hmm. he was uh, squabbling with some of the unions, and uh, so he's all right. I had enough of that, and that, that, <laughs> the yeah. budget hearings went out the window. I mean, this is Take a, a this chill is big, pill, man. Yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rom. Yeah. This is a big. T- I mean, this is a big uh, indication of what the mayor's leadership style is going to be right the, the budget hearing is a big deal and how she approaches it how she takes in different voices how she interacts with the public i mean this is going to set the tone for the next couple of years so you know i think uh we've we're in what month uh three four of the lightfoot administration i mean very very early days and this is obviously one of the first big challenges that this administration has faced so as much as i think it's going to be interesting to see as much what she says uh, as well as, like you said, how she says it, right? How is she engaging the community? How is she engaging those political leaders? How is she engaging the press, et cetera? It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, it would be unfolding, and we will be watching it carefully, uh, Dr. D. Yeah, All right. we got to get you a press pass to get into that speech. Uh, I got it. Make sure he's got a tie. Yeah, too. I got a tie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think we're probably on the air when she's giving that speech. Oh. Is that the, uh, Yeah, they usually do that around noon or something. Remember, we had to start the show late. Remember that? Oh, yeah, because yeah. the city club. Yeah. God, oh, they, they twisted my arm into doing that. All right, enough on that. Uh, so, Jake, let's yes, talk sir. about a year. Uh, you just mentioned this to me when, when yeah. you were coming in. I can't believe a year has passed. Labor Day just seems that Labor Day uh, March uh, on the, in the 10th Ward. 
That's right. And I remember J.B. Pritzker, candidate J.B. Pritzker was in the march. Julianne Stratton, mm-hmm. candidate Julianne Stratton was in the march. Uh, it was Rauner was the governor. Rauner was waging war against unions uh, throughout the country. But, you know, Illinois was sort of uh, obviously uh, a key battlefield. Uh, much has changed in this year. Yes. Oh, how the times have changed here in uh, Chicago and Cook County and Illinois. No, it, it's been a very... Uh, momentous, interesting, exciting, generally speaking, positive year for for labor unions. I mean, if you take a look, you sort of measure the year. A lot of times we do this over at the CFL, sort of Labor Day to Labor Day. What's changed? What have been the big victories? Where have been the setbacks? What can we do better? And taking a look at the the kind of the year in review, I mean, the, you, you just mentioned probably the, the biggest one, at least on the political side of things, which is getting rid of our dear departed friend, Bruce Rauner, departed the, the governor's office, not, uh, and apparently his Winnetka mansion too. Yes, he sold moved Winnetka, out of there. Yeah, he right. moved out of Winnetka. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that is a watershed moment. Uh, you know, and it wasn't necessarily a huge surprise. I think a lot of people expected Rauner to lose when your approval rating is somewhere south of 35%. You're in, you're in pretty rough shape, but, um, it does prove to be a very useful example of just how wrong things can go in, uh, in a state when you've got somebody who is so ideologically driven and so devoted to attacking working people and attacking labor unions. So, I mean, that, that's probably at the top of the list. And then, you know, there are a number of le- different legislative victories. There have been a number of different actions by specific unions. So on the legislative side, you've got things like $15 minimum wage getting past the state level, uh, banning local right to work zones, uh, a huge capital infrastructure plan that's going to do a lot of good to, to rebuild the state after 10 years of stagnation. Um, at the city here in, in Chicago recently passed the Fair Work Week Ordinance, the most expansive predictive scheduling ordinance in the country. Country. I mean, th- those are big legislative victories. Not only is Illinois, uh, not only is Illinois um, and Chicago, you know, joining some of these other sta- cities and states in protecting workers, but really leading the way. I mean, and, that, and that's something I think we at the CFL and, and all working people here in Chicago and Cook County can can really be proud of. And then, you know, you're, you're also looking back, it's not just about what happens in City Hall or in the State Capitol, but uh, you're looking back at some of these big fights, strikes, disputes that have happened over the last year. I mean, there was a major hotel worker strike. Um, you saw hotel workers from a couple dozen different hotels around the city walk out. Um, by and large, all of those except for one have been settled with, with huge worker victories. A lot of actions at um, different universities and colleges around the region. So UIC, U of C, Loyola, DePaul, I mean, all of these places had, they had walkouts, they had strikes, um, they had pickets at varying degrees. So, I mean, I think it was really exciting to see the amount of organizing that's going on uh, in higher education around Chicago. Um, Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I mean, these these are important battles to remember um, not necessarily celebrate, you know, no, nobody ever wants to go on strike. It's obviously a last resort, but uh, important battles to remember, to learn from, uh, and to take with us into the future. Yeah, and there, well, there's also ongoing fights on the federal level. And one thing you didn't yep. mention, which is interesting because we spent so much time talking about it throughout the year, was the Janus case. Sure. And the fights over uh, the Janus lawsuit, uh, the Rauner's lawsuit. We just call it Rauner lawsuit. Uh, <laughs> but Janus was the na- the plaintiff, the former uh, AFSCME mm-hmm. worker, uh, AFSCME union member, state employee, uh, who lent his name uh, to that lawsuit that was intended uh, to really uh, 
strike a, a devastating blow to unions by cutting them off in their funding. Uh, unions have done pretty well in the aftermath of that. Yeah, they have. I mean, the, the so the Janus decision came back came down last June, and a lot of people were predicting exactly what you said. You know, this would be a death knell for unions. This was going to cut the legs out from under unions. It was going to gut union support, and people were going to flee uh, flee union membership. And by and large, that's not what we saw, and that that's true in in Illinois. And that's generally true around the country, the Janus case. And, you know, we won't go all the way into the nitty gritty, but this is generally about people who are, are pay these fair share fees to a union for collective bargaining, representation, grievances, things like that. Don't want to get involved in politics. Um, the Janus case has strengthened the resolve of unions to make sure that organizing is at the top of the list, no matter what you're doing. So making sure that your membership understands what's going on with the union, why we're fighting for you, making sure that working people in your community, whether it's your county, your city, your state, understand why unions are so vital. I mean, it really uh, forced these unions to rededicate themselves to this critically important issue mm -hmm. of organizing um, that always needs to be at the heart of everything that we do. And because of that, you're seeing in a lot of cases, not only are you not seeing these mass defections or people dropping out of the union, but uh, you're seeing some growth in unions. Mm -hmm. um, unions are, are at their most popular level in 15 years in this country. I mean, people are very supportive of unions, generally speaking. Now, the number of people in a union is something that we need to improve, of course. But if you're looking at them through the lens of the, the general public, maybe somebody who's not in a union, by and large, people support the work that, that unions do and they understand the value. All right, Jake. Now, uh, we were talking about the struggles on the local level. Mm -hmm. uh, a constant theme on this show, different federal employees unions come in here to talk about the difficulties they're having with Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, the EPA uh, employees union has been in here several times. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump of, is just waging war on them, basically. Uh, and uh, so talk a little bit about the struggles at the federal level for the Sure. Unions. I mean, it, it's... It is. It has been a battle, and the, the federal government employees, AFG, uh, AFGE, has been fighting with the Trump administration. I think the EPA here locally, like you mentioned, has been sort of at the center of that fight. There have been uh, contracts that have been illegally imposed on those workers. Um, there is no interest in negotiation. There is no interest in good faith bargaining. There is just sort of like with Rauner, this kind of ideological uh, compulsion to do whatever the administration can to attack unions in a lot of different ways. I mean, you even see this and, and it's, you know, it's, it's funny uh, to some respect, but in, in a lot of ways it's deadly serious, which is the, the national labor relations board, which again, is kind of a wonky uh, uh, federal board is attacking Scabby the rat <laughs> and yeah. Scabby the rat, a, a Chicago original, you know, big inflatable rat that goes up when there are pickets and protests, non-union workers, generally at construction sites. I mean, the, the, the NLRB general counsel is attacking Scabby. They're trying to outlaw Scabby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, look that, that, that rat, uh, God love him was born and raised here in Chicago. Uh, this is something that uh, a lot of people have pride in. And also you see scabby around town. I mean, there, there are a couple scabbies. Got no, Ryder brought scabby on. to our, our reader. Uh, we, a couple of years ago, I've said this to the show a couple of years ago, we were with a reader 
employees at the reader were in the middle of very contentious negotiations <laughs> with our previous owners, not the current sure. owners, and not the, even the owners before the current owners. Uh, there's been a lot of owners at the reader. I believe Rotter was one of the owners that we were having contentious relationships with. Anyway, uh, and uh, so we, we had this um, rally on, on, the, on the, the sidewalk outside the Sun-Times, the old Sun-Times mm. uh, headquarters, and Sun-Times Reader's headquarters, and uh, Ryder brought along Scabby the Rat. So. Well, look, Scabby is... Uh, <laughs> Scabby is a, a powerful symbol. I mean, it, you know, it's funny and it, it, it's something that gets people's attention, obviously. And, and you know, you, you might want to say that, oh, it's just a big inflatable rat. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But this is a symbol of just how how deep the attacks go on unions from uh, from the Trump administration. It's something that is, you know, if you're if you're just a general supporter of unions out there, maybe you're not in the labor movement, um, but you understand the work that unions do and, and why it's important. This is something that should should give you pause um, and should make you concerned about the direction that our country is going. I mean, <laughs> this and hell of a lot of other things too. But this, especially when it comes to unions is, is something that's really concerning. So when you see Scabby out there on the street, you see workers with Scabby, uh, give him a high five. Tell me you're with him. It means well, a lot. And if you see Scabby, tell him we've been trying to get him for one of these Ben and Jay bonus <laughs> interviews for months. Scabby's Scab- a tough book to ask. He's, man, he's a busy tough, rat. Man. He's, he's a busy, busy rat. He's a lot of strikes. Uh, something we talked about earlier today and yesterday. I don't know if you saw the story. It was in the Tribune. There's a, uh, uh, some Republican legislators downstate are uh, they have this initiative. They want to separate Ugh. the rest of the state from uh, Chicago, and they yeah. uh, they say they're I, they're sick and tired of Chicago politicians. They want an independent fifty first state, I think, south of the I eighty border and uh, the I eighty divide, I should say. And uh, I, I, when you were talking about unions, I'm thinking unions are more popular downstate. Uh, that I think people realize. Mm-hmm. And so it's bizarre, this sure. anti-Chicago uh, attitude is also, I think, an anti-union attitude. And I think that um, I don't see the support for that at downstate. you follow what I'm saying? I think that uh, a lot of people downstate are far more supportive of unions than maybe their, some of their representatives. Well, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not sure if, the, if this whole secession quote unquote movement. And and I don't, I have yet to see any evidence that this is something that has significant popular support outside of a very small fraction of people who are, are very loud, um, on the issue, but I'm not sure if I would necessarily agree that it's, that it's an anti-union movement. I mean, look, if you go back and look and, and, uh, Ted McClellan had a great piece on this, I think in Chicago magazine, a couple months back, if you go back and look at the history of the state of Illinois, People have been talking about splitting up the state basically from the moment it was created. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a new phenomenon. Um, this is something that crops up when uh, people feel like they are unhappy with their leadership in Springfield for for whatever reason. Um, and it's it's frustrating to see it get so much oxygen. Um, understandable, frustrating to see it get so much oxygen. What, what I wish would get more attention is, okay, what can we do to actually improve the economy um, of some of these places downstate? What can we do to make sure that people stay uh, in some of these communities downstate? I mean, if you look at downstate, uh, oftentimes what you see are, are the biggest uh the biggest places of employment, the biggest job centers are things like state universities, state prisons, state development centers. I mean, these are big, important pillars of local economies in Southern Illinois, and they have been decimated over the last 10, 20 years, mainly because of budget cuts put in by people like 
a Bruce Rauner, who is, a, of course, a very much a Republican, now a, a North Shore Republican, but a Republican nonetheless. Don't want to necessarily break it down specifically into Republican versus Democrat terms, but I think what what's most important is how can we build these communities back up? How can we invest in the infrastructure in these places um, when people feel like their voices are being heard, when they feel like their communities are healthy, you know, their kids want to stay in the area they want to go to, you know, SIU and then come back to their hometown and open a business or get a good job at the local hospital or the local prison or in the local school district. I mean, that's what helps these communities thrive. Uh, once we do that, then I think you'll see these stories fade away. All right, Jake, before I let you get out the door, uh, your uh, thoughts on the state of the uh, presidential race. We talk a lot about this on the show. We went to uh, through the debates really closely yeah. and uh, uh what's your general well so i mean i'll ask you a question we, we, you you've taken a, a fine tooth, tooth comb and looked through these debates can you remember any substantive discussion of unions in either of these two democratic debates i mean it feels like even though these candidates like to say that they're pro-union and maybe they'll put out an economic plan or they'll take a photo op with a union or they'll they'll wax poetically it doesn't feel like labor is really at the front of the list when it's talking about the big issues uh, in the Democratic presidential conversation right now. And when you see it at the debates, and, and hopefully we'll see it again in the future, it doesn't feel like there is that real, like it's really pressing in people's minds. Um, I'll go one step further. Uh, the only, the most forceful time that Democrat, uh, excuse me, that the unions were mentioned in the Democratic uh, uh, debates was sort of like a... Uh, jujitsu move by Congressman T uh, Tim Ryan from Ohio, mm. who said that the reason he was against the Medicare for all plan right. was he was looking out for the interests of unions that have negotiated good plans. Now, Ryan Kelly comes in the show and I have just like, we vent on this. This is yeah. one of our favorite venting points. You ask many union, union workers, all right, would you rather have oh, the money that you spend send over to the insurance company in your paycheck? Would right. you rather have it in your paycheck with a portion of it deducted for taxes for a universal plan? I mean, you love your or, or would you, you and I believe that most most people would say yes, I would rather in other words uh, to say that you're to, to defend the status quo with our insane health care right. by saying I'm looking out for unions is a well, flip flop. Look, like you said, it's I mean, it's a bank shot, right? You're talking about health care and then you bring unions in it. And that's that's like it's it's jujitsu. Let's talk about how we can actually build rebuild the union movement that has been under attack for four decades in this country and, and democrats in the house and i give them a lot of credit they have introduced legislation the it's the pro act i forget what the acronym is but this is legislation that would go a long way into strengthening the ability for unions to negotiate you know, strengthening the ability for unions to um, have more leverage when they're negotiating when they're talking to employers when they're organizing new workers etc um, these are the kind of policies that are going to help rebuild the union movement in this country and when you do that and this is this is borne out by research over and over again when you when you strengthen the union movement in this country you close that economic inequality gap more people have more money in their pockets they're living better happier lives uh, and the country is on a better path so i i really hope to see that um take center stage on its own mm -hmm. not in the context of a different conversation or or a different issue i want to see that at, uh and you know until i see that 
and I really see one of these candidates, you know, they, again, they've talked about it, but I want to see it on the national stage. I want to see it in one of these debates. Let's put this front and center and discuss it. Very good. That's Jake Lewis from the Chicago Federation of Labor. Jake, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, Ish Cuevas is sitting right there. He's ready to come on, looking very dapper. I mean, everybody's dressed so well. I was going to say, before Jake uh, leaves here, I, I, this isn't really great podcast material, but that is a fantastic shirt he is wearing. Yeah, he's, he's looking, everybody's like, Thank you. Got a nice shirt. game here, man. I wanted like, to make sure I looked nice. I'm looking <laughs> Coming into Jurafsky headquarters. <laughs> Plus you're on the live camera, yeah. going. Uh, so everybody's looking real good. Uh, Miles looking a little shabby. He's looking like a Ben Jurafsky typical guest. Uh, but uh, anyway, we're going to uh, bring Ish on uh, when we return. We, we met with uh, Dr. Lightfoot here, uh, I believe, three times in person. And uh, we also met uh, once with uh, Tony Prepwanka. And we, we talk, and but the problem is with Chicago is, is uh, corruption. Yes, and the other one is, is, is how can you expect things to change when, when she is the machine? The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Hey, playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> Today's Ben Jaromsky show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. Oh, I love Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway. It's in Chicago and people, it is badass. All right. I'm not lying here. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics, antiques you hear that tony preckwinkle antiques she likes those candles you hear that ben candles, oh, candles. oh he loves candles yeah. what what's your favorite candle again uh cannabis flavor the cannabis yeah. flavored can he eats the candle apparently he likes the flavor of them it's the scent i don't know why you're eating them That's, uh, i like wax oh go don't to remember those little things that in like when you're in junior high the like wax things there was juice in them oh yeah yeah i know what you're talking about i know what you're talking about you eat the wax and then you could drink the juice oh, you know what man. i'm talking about i used to you know what that is? No. It's a Mexican candy where you squish it in a can and it hits like like spicy. Yeah, and, that, I've had that. Yeah, I just didn't know what it was called. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All but, right. Uh, well, don't eat real candles. That's God. bad. But hey, let me talk about Green Element Resale some more. All right. I love this place. It's a thrift shop. But it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky Show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, 
I'm there quite a bit, actually. I have a friend that lives right by there. Tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at greenelementresale.com. Boy, Green Element Resale, you go there and you will save so much money. Isn't that right? Oh, my. All that money. Jingle jangle. Jingle jangle. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Ish with us in the studio. We've got a lot to talk about. Labor Day Parade coming up in the 10th Ward. Presidential debates. Uh, my good, The quote-unquote Hispanic invasion of Texas. Donald Trump's lost his mind. And, of course, White Sox wives. We have a, a lot on my list here to talk about. But before we do that, D, you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. First off, uh, Pat. Pat Rod, our good friend Pat Rod on the YouTube live stream, he weighed in, and I want to make sure that uh, we note this here. He says, if you guys end up uh, getting this guy, referring to Miles Kampf Lawson and Monroe in a bonus segment, I predict it will be the most popular show. I will be waiting for it. So. Uh, no, that would be a good debate. I don't know uh, Ish, if you uh, heard this, but uh, Monroe Anderson regular on this show, and he's old school Dem Democrat, okay? Uh, he... Uh, he worries that the Bernie supporters are going to go too far to the left and uh, hurt the party. And he's still a little irritated at Bernie supporters for 2016. All right. Uh, Miles, who was just in the studio, a millennial, uh, Whitney Young grad, by the way, uh, before your time, she was before <laughs> you. But anyway, uh, he writes for In These Times and he uh, believes that that's exaggerated, that that the the old timers, baby boomers who say that are mad at the Bernie bros uh, are exaggerated, that that's not the reason uh, Hillary lost. That's not, there's many other reasons, etc. And so I said, as he was leaving, oh, I'd love to have you guys on as a debate. Because he, he uh, Miles heard uh, Monroe on the show yesterday. He goes, I, I want to, uh, you know, I take issue with them so it would be great to have we, we should have a baby boomer versus millennial debate on here bring it on they babe. stay mad they stay mad I don't let's know why. do that man <laughs> millennials versus baby boomers oh, man, I'm well you it. work for a baby boomer you work for sue garza i do the ultimate baby boomer yeah and then you have a whole team it's all millennials it's awesome isn't that amazing like sue garza's got all these millennials man they're like these 20 year olds working for her. <laughs> i think half of them went to whitney young high school i know there's some whitney young connection there all right and we got a uh, one more update here uh, it's our top story uh, locally of the day. While J.B. Pritzker hangs out at the state fair with that butter cow. It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Oh, 1922. <laughs> my favorite part. So while J.B. Pritzker hangs out at the state fair with the butter cow, our former Illinois governor, Rob Blagojevich, has been making the news. Donald Trump said that he's... Strongly considering pardoning uh, former Illinois Governor Rob Blagojevich. But according to the Chicago Sun-Times, one Tinas Fondelez, some of the state's top politicians on Thursday today have expressed that they are not pleased that President Donald Trump is considering shortening the prison sentence of former Illinois Governor Rob Blagojevich. I have some politicians here who weighed in. J.B. Pritzker, the guy we were just talking about, butter cow man. He, uh, he weighed in. Uh, speaking to, well, let's see here, the governor has said, oh, this is from Jordan Abadea, uh, oh, J.B. Pritzker's okay, spokeswoman. Yeah. Uh, the governor has said he believes the former governor is in prison where he belongs. Pritzker's spokeswoman Jordan Abadea said in a statement, the president should instead focus his attention on the critical issues facing this country like gun safety. What do you think of the response there from Team Pritzker? Well, uh, as much as I love Jordan, I disagree. First of all, presidents could do more than one thing at once. Uh, so talking about uh, commuting the sentence does not mean he can't also deal with guns, which I think he should. He could do both. And secondly, I again, 14 years is too much. 
for what he did. I was no huge fan of Rob Blagojevich, but it's a ridiculous sentence. Uh, and let the man out. It's the one of the few things that Donald John Trump and I see eye to eye on. Would you say it's uh, no. maybe a no. bit of a biased opinion from the Pritzker campaign with the whole phone call thing that went yeah, on during I mean, the election? Yeah, I mean, they, 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 right. They don't want to see. stand your ground. Yeah, you got to stand your I don't remember one more time. Uh, there were those phone calls. Yeah, JB was singing a different song when he was calling Rob Blagojevich on the phone looking for his endorsement. Man, politicians, you know? But uh, JB Pritzker does not want to be too closely identified with Rob Blagojevich because there's those embarrassing phone calls that were used against him in the campaign. But once again, as I've been pointing out all day long, Donald John Trump came to the aid of J.B. Pritzker when he started talking about commuting uh, Blagojevich that undercut the effectiveness of those uh, rounder ads showing with the uh, Blagojevich tapes because suddenly Republicans were starting, yeah, this is unfair. They're treating Blagojevich the, the way they treat President Trump. And so all of a sudden, we run around to drop those commercials. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Miss that guy. Oh, uh, gotta drop him. Oh, drop him. You know, some Republicans love Blagojevich, you know? So, I, you know, it's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, you're right. I, you got a good point there, uh, D. Uh, J.B. Pritzker's got to distance himself what, a little bit. What about Illinois House Republican leader Jim Durkin? Well, on Thursday, oh, he God. said Blagojevich, quote, deser- was deservedly convicted, saying his attempt to shake down a children's memorial hospital head for a campaign contribution is as low as one can get. Oh, that. Come on, there's a lot lower you can go. Like the president of the United States, the the leader of your party, Durkin. Good God, he was cutting deals with the Russians to undercut our election. And you're crying over shaking down the head of the hospital for a campaign donation? Come, Come on, on, Durkin. Durkin. My goodness. Yeah, and was that on Twitter? What's that? Is that on Twitter? Uh, this is according to Chicago Sun-Times and one Tina Svondellas. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it's on Twitter, though. Uh, and finally here, uh, they went to, Svondellas went to Illinois Speaker Mike Madigan Ooh. for his response. Michael. Mike Madigan's response. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Yet to comment. Michael Joseph Madigan. Come on, speak up, young man. Uh, yeah. I'm eating an apple. He's busy eating an apple, D. It's lunchtime, all right? I'll, I'll get back to you after my apple. <laughs> That's your Madigan invitation? <laughs> sure. Okay. I'm not quite sure what that sounded like. Anyway, you let him out of jail for crying out loud. That guy's been in jail for seven years. It's ridiculous. Good God. Oh, and uh, let's ask uh, former Vice President Joe Biden, uh, 2020 presidential candidate, what do you think of the idea of pardoning uh, Rob Blagojevich? So this idea is yeah. a bunch of malarkey. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right, I see. All right, Joe I knew he was going to say that. Something to, you know, uh, what, is, uh, what does Mueller think about it? Oh, uh, hey, uh, Mueller, you're uh, you're cool with uh, Lagojevich going, is that right? That's correct. Oh, All okay. Right, thank you. All right. <laughs> Everybody's weighed in now. Mueller's weighed in. All right, Ashla. First of all, first things first, let's talk about the Labor Day parade. It's a big deal. Uh, in the 10th Ward, your home turf, at least your working home turf. I know you're on the southwest side, but you're working on the southeast side. Talk about the big parade coming up on Labor Day. Yeah, it's coming up uh uh, Saturday, August 31st. Uh, it's, I'm really excited about this. Uh, everyone put it down in your calendar right now. It's Saturday, August 31st. Um, we'll be hosting the Labor Day Parade. It's the only Labor Day Parade in the city of Chicago. And then the the Friends, uh, the Chicago Federation of Labor is hosting the Eddie Fest right after. It's going to be a huge fireworks show. Um, 
music, uh, food vendors, but most importantly is to commemorate labor and the history of labor here in the city of Chicago. As you know, they've been uh, uplifting families for over 100 years, and we're just excited to to have this grand festival and this uh, great parade uh, with over 100 floats uh, marching down the street of uh, Ewing Avenue on Saturday. Uh, and I'm just excited. Are you going to come by? Yeah, I was just talking to Jake about that. We were there last year, and uh, we're going to come by again. And yeah. uh, we're marching in the parade. Uh, and uh, uh, Ish works for Sue Sedlowski-Garza. And the Eddie that he just alluded to was Sue's dad, Eddie Sedlowski, uh, who's a freaking icon in oil can Eddie? Yeah, oil can. Did you ever meet him? I did. You I did, did meet him, yeah. yeah. And um, when I first moved to Chicago, uh, Eddie's his insurgency had just happened. He had run for the the head of the uh, with the steel workers union. He lost, but it was a reform uh, can- campaign, and it was just a big union movement. Uh, and he's a great leader, great labor leader from the southeast side of, of Chicago. And it's also important for for families in the southeast side of Chicago, not just in the in there, but the entire city to to commemorate the work that labor has done right to, uh, to commemorate uh, people who have have the day off right on Monday Labor Day parade but I think a lot of our Labor Day but I think a lot of uh, the newer generation that isn't necessarily in the unions might not understand what the significance is right uh, so that's a, an important day for us uh, on the southeast side but it's an important day for all of us who who, who have come from working class families who have seen our, our forefathers and, and uh, work uh, are their way to middle class or to uh, work their way into uh, sustainable wages for our family. So I'm excited to to have this. It's going to be uh, there's going to be a crucial conflict going to be performing uh, on Saturday. So hell yeah, it's going to be dope. It's going to be dope. conflict, man. Do you know them? Oh yeah, uh, '90s rap group. Oh, it, hey, was their popular <laughs> song? Smoking on hay in the middle of the barn. Did, I'm excited. Wait, time out. Did you know that song? Yeah. Oh, you know, hey. Well, I mean, I had to listen to everything. Uh, right, well, don't put it that way. I had to listen to it. Go, man, I was really enjoying it while I was well, listening to it. Well, in the 90s, I was, what, like five years old? Yeah, I was going to say, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm older than him. No, he's in the young millennial, and you're an older millennial. So let me ask you, take off your uh, uh, labor hat, put on your millennial hat. In general, what do, is your generation's attitudes toward unions? You know what? That's a. It, it, I'm gonna. T- I'm gonna talk about this in the perspective of growing up on the South Side, right? So I think that uh, as a as a young Mexican immigrant, I had people in my classes in my neighborhood who had both, right? You had your father who worked in the union, and you had your father who worked in whatever field they were in, right? Mostly because they were undocumented. Uh, so I think that for the majority of the uh, for the people of our of my age growing up on the south side, I think the union is something that's kind of like that's far away and it's kind of unreachable. Uh, there was a few people who were able to get in it uh, who have who have benefited from those from the movement, but there's also a lot of people who haven't who may not have heard. And I think it has to do a lot with um, the way that Chicago public schools over the last thirty years kind of has taken away a lot of those career vocational programs from the public school system, right? And so, when as CPS was kind of decimating all these programs across the city, you know, starting in the late '80s, uh, by the time I got into the schools in the mid '90s and high school in the early 2000s, those programs were non-existent, mm-hmm. right? So, even even if I didn't know about unions uh, in in the Chicago public school system, it's not like people were inculcating the values of the union or the values of a trade. Um, you know, the main priority was always to go to college. But what happens to um, 
those students who don't want to go to college, those students who maybe uh, want to work, you know, manual with their hands. Mm -hmm. And those options were never, never given to us. So now you have hundreds and hundreds of students who fell through the cracks and have to work low paying jobs, bouncing around throughout the city uh, when there's, you know, now the labor shortages uh, in the, in the unions. Uh, so it's, it's, that's the way that I'm looking at it. And that's actually something that I'm trying to, uh, along with the older women are trying to solve, uh, now that we're in the committee on workforce development to figure out how we can, uh, to identify the leaks in the workforce development pipeline, to figure out how we can strengthen, uh, the ties between public schools and the trades and create pre-apprenticeship programs. Uh, I've been meeting with pe people across the city, uh, to specifically to, to figure out how we can solve those issues. So, um, anyone out there that, uh, wants to help with this cause uh let's do it let's do it together because we we need, we have to figure out how we can uh give our young people jobs well-paying jobs right it's uh recently i've been looking for studies that say that show kind of like the correlation between gun violence in the city and jobs right and and it's interesting that i haven't been able to i haven't been able to find the statistics of any one of your listeners have it you know send it to me email it to me but it, it just shows you that that you know when when the or at least for me i'm looking at like a, a graph right like when um vocational and the trades programs started to go down in cps then you start having this like inflation of gun violence going up right obviously there's a multiple other factors on there i'm not but you're saying, saying there is a correlation there, there is i i guarantee that the study is done mm -hmm. that there's a correlation out there and we have to explore that we can't just leave that you know and um, and I know that people keep saying, well, need, you know, people need jobs, people need jobs, but when they need, that's, they need well-paying jobs with benefits, you know? So I just want something that I'm uh, working uh, really hard in the next few weeks, in the next few months, and hopefully uh, we can have people around the city on this. All right, now I know you've been uh, also been following the, oh, by the way, so one more time, the Labor Day Parade, August 31st, and where does it start? It starts on uh, 112th in Ewing, and it's going towards Calumet Park. It ends at Calumet Park. Is it the same route as they did last yes, year? Yes, it is. Oh, it's a long walk, folks. Get your leg. I, I walked in that thing. It was so hot that day. We were in there last year. Yeah. It was so We walk up and down. When you're walking one way, the organizers, uh, for example, with my, my colleague, Nicole Garcia, who's been doing a phenomenal job in organizing the parade, we are literally going up and down the route all day long. I remember uh, not far from us in last year's parade, J.B. Pritzker was marching, oh, yeah. which remember that, and mm -hmm. uh, and he was with uh, Juliana Stratton. They were marching to the parade, and we were all just like sweating like horses. Well, you know, it's funny because I never really see politicians sweat, like actually. And yeah. then at the parade, I see I see Chu Garcia just drenched. You yeah. know, I, everyone, was all he the there one last myself. Year? Yeah, Garcia was there last year. Yeah, I remember that. I do remember a certain candidate for mayor was there last year, uh, getting signatures to petition for nominating petition. This certain candidate took a picture posing with young Dr. D. That's me. And uh, Wait, that, I remember this. Yeah, you remember? And uh, it's Lori Lightfoot. Yeah. And it, it, I'll tell you what, Ish, the world looks so differently then. Uh, I just, I remember seeing Lori there. And I, I may have signed her petition. I don't know. I signed everybody's petitions, even though it's illegal. You know, the crazy election law, you're only supposed to sign one. I signed Troy's. I signed uh, Lori's. I forget who else's I, I signed. Uh, and so basically, you validated your own signature. Yeah. So if some sleazy election lawyer, say, hey, that Ben Jarofsky, nobody can read. Yeah, I said, I validated my signature. I signed everybody's. But who was the other one I signed? Oh, I must have signed. I think I signed Tony Preckwinkle twice because the 
And I told the lady, oh my God, I'm going to story within a story. I told the lady who was getting the signatures, you already signed for Tony Perkins. That's all right, sign again. <laughs> Anyway. Someone didn't get the right training. Yeah, it's, okay. the another right story. it's another story. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the, but at the course, uh, Tony was challenging the signatures of Lori Lightfoot. So it would have been ironic if Tony's uh, signature challengers moved to strike my signature because on the grounds that I'd say. But I actually signed Lori's before I signed Tony's. Anyway, uh, but I, it just didn't. That, you know, Lori was doing what a politician has to do. You have to march in the Labor Day parade, if you're a Democrat anyway. I did not see any Republicans in that parade. Uh, and um, and so there she was. She marched in the parade, and she was get, she went to Eddie Fest afterwards, and she was getting signatures yeah. to her petitions. And I got to tell you, Ish, I'd, in a million years, I wouldn't bet that she would have been the mayor. I, I remember I probably said that Dennis, I don't know why this lady's running. She can't possibly win. Uh Man, was I wrong. I mean, that was a conversation. I mean, I think that you share that multiple people share that view with you. Yeah. But and you know what? A, a cool uh, fact um, that the, the actual the Labor Day Parade uh, was very active for about 30, 40 years. Uh, and then it became uh, it stopped happening basically in the 90s, in the early 2000s. So when the older woman, uh, when older woman Susan Garza got elected, she brought it back to, back to uh, back to life. So it's exciting for us to revive an old tradition, you know? I think a lot of times, speaking of millennials, I will say, well, they don't know what it was like in back in the day, and it's actually us reviving this old tradition uh, of our mothers and fathers and bringing it to life. So yeah. I'm excited about this. No, it's a cool thing. I hope it's a little cooler. Uh, Ish Cuevas is my guest. When we come back, we take a break. We come back, I'm going to throw some national... Uh, questions at him about national politics donald trump uh stirring things up talking about invasions and the consequences of his harsh rhetoric we'll be talking about that with ish when we return how do you respond to people who think that regardless of the underlying facts the way you handled the question of your native american heritage was tone deaf offensive and indicative of a lack of presidential tact well i grew up in oklahoma i learned about my family from my family and based on that, that's, that's just kind of who I am. And I do the best I can with it. You know, there was an investigation. Nothing I ever did or my family played any role in any job I ever got. But I'll tell you this, I have now done 38 town halls in Massachusetts last year. And this is my 32nd town hall since January. And what I've discovered is that people care a lot about what's happening to their lives. When you lose a loved one whose wishes were to be cremated, Chicagoland Cremation Options provides your family a dignified and affordable cremation service. Chicagoland Cremation Options helps you bypass the expensive overhead of a funeral home or cemetery by streamlining the cremation directly. It saves you sometimes thousands of dollars. Chicagoland Cremation Options Crematory, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. You can find them at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. All right, let me save that real quick.
Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right. Ish Cuevas is in the studio with me, the pride and joy of the southwest side, but he works on the southeast side. Uh, 10th Ward Alderman aide, uh, aide to 10th Ward Alderman Sue Sethlowski Gardens. We're talking about the Labor Day Parade. Don't forget, Lori Lightfoot's going to come to the parade as well. I, you know, now she came last year as candidate Lightfoot, and now she's going to come as Mayor Lightfoot. And I know the Chicago Teachers Union will be in that parade as well. So maybe while they're marching and uh, celebrating uh, Labor Day, they can negotiate a contract how about that That'd wouldn't be that crazy. be something in the, in the 10th ward they'll be marching together stacy davis gates will be negotiating with Lori lightfoot as they march it's march. all grassroots it's all grassroots on ewing avenue all right anyway that's october 3rd i know we'll be talking about it again uh before august 31st maybe drag suit guards in here to talk about it as well uh ish i have to ask you this uh uh, th- this story I've been talking about earlier in the day, I haven't talked about it in, uh, in at least an hour, but it's on my mind. It was on the front page of the Chicago Sun-Times today. Uh, some of the, the wives of the White Sox actually won an ex-White Sox. Uh, there is a woman named Elizabeth Swarsik, whose husband, Anthony, used to pitch for the White Sox. Now he pitches for Atlanta. And she went after uh, Bria Anderson, who is the wife of Tim Anderson, uh, who is the shortstop for the White Sox. Now, I admit I have a bias. I'm a big, huge Tim Anderson fan. I'm a White Sox fan. And uh, I'm a Bria Anderson fan, Bria being the wife. And Bria uh, spoke out uh, on her, I think it was her Instagram Instagram page, uh, denouncing white racism, talking about the gun, the the violence in El Paso, and saying that Donald Trump had made it stirred it up with some of his rhetoric. Um, Then that that brought a response from Elizabeth Swarsik, who is a Trump supporter, basically, uh, on the far right. And and she immediately said, um, well, she took issue with her and said, why don't you talk about black on black crime? Uh, instead, which is, I talked about this earlier, it's a non-response response. Uh, and um, uh, and then they started going at it. Uh, and the, let's see, one other wife, Ariana Giolito, uh, uh, weighed in as well. She's Lucas Giolito's wife and a really passionate supporter of, um, I don't know, Democratic, liberal politics, what have you, and really took issue with some of the things that Swartzik was saying. And I sent you the article. I go, we got to talk about this. What are your general thoughts about it? Yeah, you know, the first thing that I was thinking about when I read this, uh, it reminded me a lot of when I was an undergrad at UW-Madison and having arguments with people uh, in classroom about racism and white supremacy and white privilege. And all of a sudden, like, I just call somebody out for their white privilege, and then it turns into a, well, are you racist against whites? It's like, it's reverse racism, right? Um, so I just think it's just like, they, the arguments were, so, you know, there's so much slippery slope uh, coming out of this this conversation. Uh, it's it's amazing to to hear um, Elizabeth Swarzak's perspective uh, in, in, on what she's saying and calling Bria Anderson out, you know, for for all the work that she's done on the South Side, this mentorship program, uh, I just think it, that this conversation, as a as a as a brown person who who is looking at this 
white versus black conversation, uh, I think people have to go back down and understand, like, you know, when you're complicit in racism and when you can be an ally in racism and, and acknowledge those things, right? Um, I think that uh, Swarzak was very uh, complicit in a- attempting to justify uh, white nationalism or white supremacy, right? Um, and bringing the attention to, well, you're being racist against me. I think that those are... Unfortunately, it happens way too often, and we have to call it out, right? So, so you know, uh, jo- uh, Rihanna Jolito calling her out and posting up the screenshots, I think that's someone using their power, their platform as an ally to expose that, you know? Uh, we're in a time where, where we we have to address those things head on, you know? It's not like a side conversation anymore. Uh, so that's, that's kind of what went through my mind. Um, and, you know, one of the things that really stuck out to me about the... Um, this, the the conversation about the the shootings um, was when she mentions a Hispanic invasion of Texas, right? Swarsic, uh, you're talking about. The, yeah, mention that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what and I think about that how how that's related to all the rhetoric of Donald Trump, right? And all the rhetoric that has unfortunately will lead to more things if it doesn't get addressed, right? And I was looking on Donald Trump's Twitter page and he did his whole media spectacle. Uh, in El Paso and in Dayton to go to the hospitals where the victims were being treated, but none of the tweets are related to gun reform. None of the tweets are related to addressing gun violence. So um, it, I, I fear for, for myself, but I also fear for us as a society that we can't address this issue. Yeah, I, it, it, the, the immediate hostility uh, the, of Swartzik uh, to, to Bria uh, Anderson and to say, and, I, and I, this is how I addressed it uh, earlier-ish. Uh, Anytime any criticism uh, is leveled at Donald Trump for his policies, there's a knee-jerk reaction by a black person. There's a knee-jerk reaction by supporters of Donald Trump to say, well, what about black and black crime? And I'm like, why are you raising that issue? Like, you could be talking to Donald Trump about his trade policy, but black person is making the criticism of Donald Trump, no matter what the issue is, the, the the counter attack is what about black and black crime in other words that's your lane stay in your lane you're not allowed to talk until you've solved black or black crime and i'm like that's how you're going to deal with the problems in the country yeah yeah and also how why, what what gives Swarzak the opportunity to speak on it as if she's the expert right and then when she feels like she's getting called out instantly going into basically like crybaby mode right when she says like um, she says, well, you can't have it both ways. Congratulations. You know, and I, and I feel like that's always like when, when, when the right wing trolls on Facebook are losing, they just go into this like, oh, well, like, look at you. Who do you think you are? You know? Yeah. Um, and that, that's, it's annoying. Well, and she took a, a couple shots, Swartzik did, at uh, Bria Anderson. I, I didn't read this part, uh, but she mocked the work that uh, Bria Anderson and Tim Anderson are doing through their foundation. Uh, I mean, think about that. Yeah. She's mocking the work. What what has Swartzik done in terms of like solving these issues, right? Bria Anderson is actually putting in work in in Alabama and Chicago to address you know issues that we have in our communities, your mentorship, scholarships for youth, and this lady Asha can do this in send a bogus racist message, you know? Yeah, no, I, uh, uh, 
I give, I, and again, I really like Giolito's wife, uh, Ariana, stepping in there and just, and this is what she wrote. For someone within the baseball family to say such disrespectful, disgraceful, and disgusting things, to shamelessly act in a demeaning and hateful way is reprehensible. Half the players in the Major League Baseball are immigrants from Latin countries. To know someone among you who holds hate in their heart or thinks of you as a criminal because of your birthplace is something I cannot even imagine. And this is Ariana Giolito, uh, who's the wife of uh, Lucas Giolito. I just pointed this out. It's all the Democrats that are the good baseball players and the, the Republican guys. Not that. Just point that out. Republicans like to talk about a meritocracy. All the good players are Democrats. Just saying that, uh, you know, this is a minor point, but I feel compelled to make that issue. Well, you know, I also feel it, you know, in this conversation, it goes back to the keeping politics um, out of sports or vice versa, right? And I, and I think about the, I don't know if you heard, but... Uh, over the weekend, the Philadelphia Union uh, soccer player Alejandro Bedoya mm-hmm. scored a goal, ran to the corner, picked up the field mic, and uh, yelled, hey, Congress, do something now, end gun violence, right? Um, and it started another controversy in the soccer world about uh, keeping politics out of the sport. But it, politics, uh, like he, he actually said it afterwards, he said, you know, before I'm an athlete, I'm a human being. Yeah. Right, and that, and this is true for all of us. We think about the Kaepernick example, and we we'll go back, right? And it, it it's one of those things that has always bothered me because, as a person who used to play sports, and still follow sports, you know, when it gets political, it doesn't bother me, right? Um, but unfortunately, people will try to stop. If specifically, if you're you're using their platform in the sport industry to advocate for change, to advocate for empowering people of color. Uh, empowering our communities, then it's like bad, right? Well, so. it, it, I'll, I'll put it to you. That, yes, uh, they they uh, Swartzik turned on Bria Anderson because she was using her platform to advocate on behalf of Black people and uh, or uh, minorities, etc., uh, and to stand up for Hispanic people. And so that's when she turned on her. Uh, and I know, I mean, this is a, a bit of a different uh, point, but it must be really a difficult balancing act for the owners and the operators of these of major league teams because Donald maybe the owners themselves are fans of Donald Trump uh, I just saw this in the paper with the the guy who owns the Miami Dolphins football team is a, is a supporter of Donald Trump uh, but most of the players I'll bet you anything the black players and Hispanic players are against Donald Trump and are fa- they come from families that are against Donald Trump and in baseball it's probably really true because there's so many Latino players so many players from like the Dominican Republic of course, yeah. so many players from Mexico et cetera, and so forth and uh, they cannot be happy with the rhetoric that Donald Trump uses when he talks about Mexican immigrants as like they're vermin or something like yeah. that coming over the border to come get us you know and uh, so it's got to be a a delicate issue. I don't know how. Well, imagine in the locker, the locker room itself, yeah. when you have both of the players like interacting and because and their wives beefing <laughs> with each other. You know. Yeah. Well. Okay. One more time. Swartzik is no longer with the White Sox, so I, I'll bet you anything within the White Out uh, White Sox dugout, everybody's on the side of Tim Anderson. Uh, and I love how this uh, our 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 um, Giolito came, yeah, yeah, came to a defense. So that was pretty cool. All right, Deep. You know we're coming to the end of the show. We have our favorite segment, 
for one last time. It's a sad day here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Our editor slash intern, Leah, is headed off to school. And, uh, man, she's done a fantastic job for us. We can't thank her enough. Seriously, you're awesome. You're great. Uh, Tough shoes to fill miles when you come back, pal. But uh, it's our last time here that we're going to do this. Leah always has great questions for our guests. So it is getting a little sad here. The final time for Leah's last word. All right. Well, I have a couple questions. Um, First is how do people who are not in unions, ordinary working people, um, demonstrate their support for unions? Uh, I'll give you an example uh, in my own family, right? My, uh, my father is in the uh, carpenters union. My mom works at a factory, still works at a factory. Uh, and she has always been very supportive of the union movement, so always been supportive. My brother, for example, was in the uh, 5 for 15 campaign uh, when he was younger. My mother has always been, I always think, like, let's think about our families first, right? And so in my family, I saw that our own example of people who, I have uncles who are union, I have uncles who aren't union, but they support the movement, right? They, they, they strive for that, you know, and unfortunately not other people, not everyone has access to it. Uh, and at the end of the day, right, um, there's this poster that I think I, that I had in college, but you, you can find it in, in a lot of workplace, a lot of places. Uh, basically it says like, don't, uh, if, you know, if you're not unionized, don't fight against me who I'm unionized, fight against the, the fat cats, the corporation who's uh, stopping you from union, joining a union. So that's something that I uh, definitely think about. Um, okay, my second question is, do you think that union workers in the city of Chicago um, are mostly happy with their uh, health insurance plans? And do you think that, um, like, for example, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's plan to eliminate private insurance would hurt unions or would union workers be satisfied with like, having that money? Yeah, I would, I would say that uh, from the union workers that I've spoken with and I haven't spoken with, with as many union workers as maybe everyone else in this room has, but I would say that in general, uh, they are, they're, they're happy with what they have with the benefits. I would say that the people who aren't is the people who don't have union benefits. That's who I'm worried about. I'm worried about all the people in our communities on the southeast side who aren't unionized and who are constantly getting exploited by the whatever uh, entity they work for, who don't have any benefits, um, who have to rely on going to the emergency room for a simple issue and then it costs them thousands of dollars. That's the people who I'm um, I'm concerned about and those are the people who I think that when that the presidential candidates should be thinking about when they're talking about Medicare for all. I can Medicare. tell you that a lot of retired uh, city employees are upset because they're the, the, the amount of money they have to pay for the premiums keeps going up and this is a negotiating tactic. So when you make when you link your health benefits to your job uh, and it becomes a, a bargaining chip in your negotiations between management and labor. I just think that's cruel. I just like medical expenses and health expenses should be independent, something that you have just because you need them. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's, it's a, a civilized way of going about through life. So there's a lot of, to answer your question, there's a lot of retired city workers. Like I know because they send me their emails, they're upset because the the city's constantly raising their premiums. Uh, it's more and more expensive for them to get the health care, and they're on a fixed budget anyway. So um, 
I do not understand ish. I guess we'll be talking about this for a long time, and Lee as well. Uh, why this country is not making a bolder uh, move toward some kind of nationalized health plan. There's we talked about this at the hideout the other day. There's such resistance to it. The Republican Party's going down. This is they're, they're going to be running against whoever the Democratic candidate is, basically on a policy to destroy Obamacare. Right now, they have a lawsuit, federal lawsuit, uh, uh, coming out of Texas that's supported by Trump that would destroy uh, Obamacare, and they have nothing to replace it. So essentially, the Republicans think they can get reelected, Donald Don Trump can get reelected by running on a platform to take away health care from people in this country. I hate to think that they're right. You know what I'm saying, Leah? It's ridiculous. Think, yeah. It's, but... but they're trying to they're doing they're spending millions of dollars with all these uh think tanks to to get that passed through other legislators it's, yeah you know I, and they're and if if they're if they prevail in the courts and ultimately come to the supreme court and i keep thinking that supreme court's too political uh i, I get this there's a cynic in me that thinks that they'll hold off on this decision because they don't want it to work against trump i think this would be devastating for donald trump politically uh to to be um, running for re-election uh calling for the abolition of of obamacare because then what are people going to have as a health care yeah. you know um anyway leah best of luck to you Thank i know you're you. heading out tomorrow right yeah yeah i'm leaving back for college tomorrow getting on a plane two o'clock yeah you're going to boston right yeah uh and i i'm speaking on behalf of dennis and all our guests, every guest that we've ever had on this show that's dealt with Leah has just spoken so uh, well of you and so highly of you. Uh, just the way you greet them, bring them into the studio. You're so nice, She's a friendly awesome. face. Thank she, you. You're, um, you're amazing, and I hope Ben writes you a really good letter recommendation. Oh, yeah. What's, well, thank you very much. Yeah. I don't need one right this second. Yeah, right one. Get down. Uh, start writing. Do. Yeah. Uh, so best of luck to you. And anybody out there listening, uh, you want to hire her for anything, this is your girl right here, Leah. She's oh, a great job you. for us. And I really had a really miss good you. time here. All right. Thank you very much, Leah. Great job. Give yourself a raise and take it out of petty <laughs> cash. All right, Leah. Uh, Ish, thank you so much for being here. We'll get you, you in next month. Me. And I uh, also want to thank Jake Lewis, who's my guest, and uh, Miles Conflas. And man, Miles was bringing his A game today, boy. I was talking about. He's coming for you, Monroe. Yeah, <laughs> Monroe Miles Showdown. Millennial versus Baby Boomer. <laughs> we may do about to put that on like a uh, TV pay per view. Pay per view, baby. John King is going to help. Them. We should get our boxing ring. We should get our boxing ring. My, Miles and Monroe. Oh. It shall help out Miles a little bit. He's got a you know, generational thing. He's going to be helping out. Uh, Miles. Don't Let forget it, the Labor Day Parade. Labor Day Parade. Saturday, I, got a, I got a funny feeling. Uh, we'll be talking about it again before August. I'm going to drag old Sue Garza in here. Yeah, Sue, rock and roll. We need a baby boomer in here every now. I've been surrounded by millennials all day. Uh, anyway, uh, August 31st, uh, south, far southeast side. What time does it start? It starts at 12. Noon? Noon. Oh, man. God, even I can make a noon start. Come Good on. God, that's that's not even early for me. Uh, and, of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his five and done that one in a while, dude. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, and, uh, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast downloaders. We live stream this show Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. 
at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on both Facebook and Twitter. And uh, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow.